it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast with Jack Encarnacio and J.P. Sorrow. It's still real to me, damn it! The Lapsed Fan. In all my years in professional wrestling, I've never seen anything like it! The last fan man, number one in the ring. Forget about the startle, we the real king of swing. When the bell goes ding, you can kick like me. Thrown in the corner, make it splash like sting. Even Jerry King will take off the crown. Nodding his head like it's D low brown. We can get low down, but we go even higher. Flip you on your head, but you know cool driver. You be spitting more knowledge, dragon spits fire. Give you more shock than when Edge retires. Dropping more truth than we kind of sniper. Bless you with a coconut, Roddy. Piper, Jack and JP, be like JYD, drop the cupcakes and gluten, the brain by beans, the best podcast from start to close, if y'all benefit, it's a five second pose. There's best of the WWF on the Coliseum Collection and Coliseum Home Video Boss, there's things we think about when we think about best of the World Wrestling Federation. Yes. And a lot of times when we've come across tapes with those titles, we haven't really agreed with what the... The, the, the tastemakers, the curators at Coliseum Home Video came to think of as the best of the WWF? Yeah, it's not really, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a everything else of the WWE. Right. It's kind of a, you know, flotsam and jetsam, kind of a grab yeah. bag of sorts of WWE happenings. Odds and ends, if you will. Should be like called shit you didn't, shit you forgot about. Right. Volume six. Right. Shit that amused somebody in the office for reasons that are not readily apparent, yet it's being included like TNT sketches, matches between opponents that don't seem particularly storied or particularly good, archival footage that's mostly based on who's in favor with the company right now, yeah. lionizing Gorilla Monsoon's career, for instance. Right. But nothing really that you can... I know, he's like this fucking, like this hero right. of wrestling. Somebody loves the, the, the midgets matches, so those always find their way onto these best right. of comps, which... You know, any honest best of WWF would not include a single one of those matches. All of that, but, you know, the point being that when you objectively assess what's been on these these editions on Coliseum Home Video so far, it's been a, a series of matchups, uh, angles, things, that I don't think anybody would agree would be, you know, your, your top of mind best that the WWF was able to, able to conjure, you know? Right. That's some of the best stuff they did. But here... Best of the WWF Volume 6 here in the Coliseum Collection. Our effort to march through each and every Coliseum home video release for the World Wrestling Federation. We come upon a feud for the very first time in terms of the timeline of the Coliseum Collection. And Mm. in terms of the WWF as it was at the time, 1985. Yeah. A feud that I think is 
on anybody's top five, top ten best feuds in WWF history. This truly is the best of the WWF. It is the first Madison Square Garden meeting of Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage. And it's great. It is great. It's a good, solid outing for both guys. We've spent a lot of time over the years on TLF talking about this feud from WrestleMania 5 on through the rest, even into WCW. What strikes you here watching them go at it in 1985? Um, That I would have loved to have seen a full-blown match between the two of them in 1985, more than any other time period. Do you mean live or just on TV or at all? In any, any, in any fashion. I think the two of them at this, at this frame of time were at, you know, Hogan, Hogan was still trying. Hogan was still trying. And he had that, that ass kicking mentality. And even to the point where his, his Hulk up wasn't so contrived. It wasn't such a, you know, oh, here we go. A routine thing. It, right. It was, it, it, it didn't 100% work in the story of the match. It, 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 it just was the two, and they were both fast and on fire. Savage was on all cylinders. It, it was great stuff. I, honestly, I would have loved to have seen them go 15 minutes. 15 minutes like this, and uh, uh, it could have been a spectacular match. It's at a tree, and it's featured on the, the jacket of the best of the WWF yeah. Volume 6. Hogan with a side headlock on Randy. However, it's not the garden match because Hogan's in white trunks. This is almost definitely their very, <laughs> very first encounter, as we'll get to in September of 1985 at the Spectrum in Philadelphia, where Hogan indeed rocked the white trunks to the ring. Wow. Uh, as the jacket to the best of the WWF Volume 6 reads, Champion Hulk Hogan defends his title against Randy, Randy Macho Man Savage. Notice they didn't make room for Not So Macho Man, as they insist. Yeah, no. The only thing that stands that's, between them is That's Elizabeth. probably because uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take a guess that Gorilla Monsoon wasn't writing the copy. <laughs> no, because he would have insisted. He, doesn't, he wouldn't have given a shit if you had to make you know a one-time bigger video box. He wouldn't give a yeah. fuck. You'd have to get that in there. <laughs> the only thing it reads here that stands between them is Elizabeth. Also, the mm. early years, see today's WWF stars as yesterday's rookies. It's the official World Wrestling Federation video cassette, the world's most entertaining sport. Who Who is a rookie? You tell me. I, 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 mean, I guess Lanny Poffo, but he also wasn't a star when this tape came out. No, but they had ideas. You know, they included you on the tape for a reason. Maybe figuring yeah. by the time it hit shelves, uh, the guy would have caught on to the degree envisioned. And we will get into the WWF premiere, the unveiling of one late leaping Lanny Poffo, who, as we understand it, is really living in the lap of luxury down in Ecuador right now with a fine <laughs> Latina dame on his arm. I no mean, problems there at all. I'll just say this. Uh, you know, you know when, when it comes to bedtime, I have no doubt that he is looking sky high into two boob tubes. <laughs> See, senor, are you sure you want this TV that close to your face? <laughs> To your kata, as it were. Um, but yeah, uh, Terry Funk in this uh, WWF run of, from 85 to 86 tangles up with Lanny Poffo on the tape from the garden. We're going to talk about that as the, uh, the the brief but eventful WWF run of Terry Funk takes further shape here in the Coliseum collection. We're going to have Hogan and Savage, as we'll talk more about here in just a moment. There's also a clip from Tuesday Night Titans of Jesse the Body Ventura taking 
questions from the audience. Where did we see this clip before? I've seen this before. I looked back. I could not detect where in the Coliseum collection I, we would have I remember. It. I know. I don't know where we would have seen this bit, but I remember this whole thing with Jesse talking to, to, to people. I've seen this. Yeah. I'm not doubting we covered it at one point. There are those early tapes where even the, the listings you'll find online of what's contained on the tapes, which is mostly matches. I mean, I look through our notes. I don't I, know where. single thing. Nope. I, I know. I'm trying to think of one other reason why we would have. I mean, unless we were, unless I was using this this episode for reference for something. Yeah. But I remember specifically this whole. Because it has the legendary question, as we'll get to, Phil Burke yeah. in the audience, right? Right. Um, and that's what I remember. Butch Cassidy versus Haiti Kid in your obligatory minis match on the show, which actually I'm going to go ahead and say is the best minis match we've ever seen on the Coliseum Collection or any TLF episode, which isn't um, saying much, but it's saying something. Well, no, it's not. It's second to uh, Moscow Data Dorada's match at Ground Zero in 1997. Of course. As you know. Uh, Ivan Putsky, as we go into the archives, uh, brings the Polish power against Johnny Valiant, one of your favorites. Yeah, I'm so thrilled that, that we got to see him look more like an idiot. Al Hayes gets perverted on the relationship advice segment on TNT. Oh, as, man. <laughs> as Vince thoroughly amuses himself with the Britishness oh, of Al's God. answers. I mean, and it's it's so... I, I don't even know what to say about that whole segment. It is so bizarre. What I'll say is study Vince's face. That's my only yes. suggestion. yes. And we conclude with a bit of deja vu. This is rather unfortunate and kind of lazy on the part of a... I mean, it's it's lazy on so many levels. I think this is the first time this has happened. A match is repeated, not only on a Coliseum video. We've seen that before, but it's repeated on a best of. On a best of. I know. We're back to Ricky the Dragon Steamboat versus Bob Orton Jr. from July of 1985. And it's a hell of a match. It's one of the best we've covered on the journey. It actually qualifies under best of the WWE, but... You know, what are you it, doing? I mean, why? Why can't why find anything new to put in this slot? Like, I mean, even you couldn't find anything with uh, with with Steamboat either. If you wanted, like, what? What the fuck? Coming off the release of the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat VHS, which is chock a block with stuff. There's nothing left over where you wish you could have fit in. You could put right here. No, right. we're gonna include. I don't know. It's weird, but it's here. Um, which is a bit of a reprieve for us because we don't have to go blow by blow on that one again. Right. Right. Um, but still, that's that's the body of it, and yeah, definitely the video jacket. In this case, as in most cases, but not all, tells the story. Hogan Savage is the main thing, the thing we can, I think, sink our teeth into most. And just to further comfort you, boss, this isn't just Hogan Savage in the garden. This is Hogan and Savage in the garden the weekend after Christmas, 1985. Oh, I know. I mean, you can't get any better than that. Give me a choice of what year I would get to experience the holidays in all of time. I may very well pick 1985. Yeah, yeah, seriously. LJN's running wild, Hulkamania yep. in everyone's mind, no yep. shortage of things to buy relative to wrestling, an explosion of merchandising and licensing. And I would have I would have been begging my parents for a ticket to this one. I mean this this would have I mean this is Boss Hogan uh, Savage December of, I, I I know December thirtieth, eighty five. You can't get any better. Now, you've been to Garden Holiday Week shows. I have even been. even in the current product, it's still something special. It is special, and it was fun, and they 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 put effort into it. So it's I want you to picture night. that feeling, and then Hogan Savage coming to the garden that night, knowing that Hogan's taking on Randy Savage. The electricity. Uh, I mean, before it was even you know Mega Powers explode. I mean, to be there on this night is something cool. 
I envy people that got to see this first run of Home and Savage matches. I know. Live and in person. And it was a smash hit at the box office as well, which is key. Oh, I'm sure. Because we've spent some time talking in recent Coliseum collection coverage of how the Hulk Hogan Garden appearances after WrestleMania 1 weren't, um, weren't necessarily the bee's knees. You know, the, it wasn't all flying colors. The Don Morocco series uh, struggled a bit to reach capacity in the Garden. There was definitely right. a hangover effect after WrestleMania 1. And all the hoopla and filling the Garden, it was hard for them coming back with regular Hogan title defenses at first. This was the first one, I think, of 85, where they were right back up where they belong with a full sellout, advertising felt forum tickets on the television leading into the weekend. Great. Because yeah, they knew the garden stuff. would be full. According to the, um, the Kenyon and Teal book on the garden, this one did 20,225 in attendance, which constituted a sellout, including felt forum attendance, Hogan and Savage in the main event, with Valentine and Beefcake versus Hillbilly Jim and Uncle Elmer uh, in the co-main event. And uh, that's coming off a November 25th Garden show, which only did 16,000. So you jump from 16,000 to 20,000. That's, uh, Jeez. you can point right at Hogan and Savage for that difference. That November show being the show where uh, Fabulous Moolah double-crossed Wendy Richter to become women's champion is touched on on the last best of tape we covered here in the Coliseum Collection. <laughs> but yeah, you look at that 22,000 attendance. Uh, pardon me, 20,225. Yeah. You go back. October was 19,000. No Hogan. September was 18,000, no Hogan. August 10th, 22,000, that's a good house. Andre and Paul Orndorff Piper and Orton, but no Hogan there either. 15,000 in July, uh, that had uh, Orndorff and Piper in the main event, no Hogan. I think Hogan goes to Japan. He goes to Japan in 84 and 85, I believe. Sounds like a movie. Yeah, it sure does. But even Hogan didn't hit the 20,000 mark for the steel cage match with Morocco in June 21. That's surprising. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's totally counterintuitive when you think about how hot wrestling and WWF and Hogan in particular were coming off all that magical WrestleMania 1 hype. Just the way that all came together was just an absolute dream come true for a promoter. But it didn't mean much of the Garden. 20, uh, May of 85, 15,000 for Hogan Morocco. Pretty lame. That's absurd. Uh, so this is back. Now we're back in business. And uh, 86 would be pretty healthy for them hitting 20, 20, 20 over and over again. Um, so this in some ways kind of re-sparked the, uh, you know, the regular loop garden business for them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's just it's just a magical thing to embrace. Hogan and Savage mixing it up for the first time. We've talked a bit about this, particularly on the Amazing Managers Coliseum video release where mm-hmm. they chronicle Randy Savage going through the manager sweepstakes, which is always a very effective angle to do to get a new talent over as something big. Guys like Jimmy Hart and Bobby Heenan and Freddie Blassie chasing and pursuing the services of Randy Savage. Of course, they have that in-person negotiation segment they did. And then uh, he makes the decision at Poughkeepsie at the tapings. And out from the orange doors comes not one of the well-known managers of the World Wrestling Federation, but in fact, Elizabeth, making her debut as Randy Savage's second. And we're off to the races. The package is there from day one, really, for Randy Savage. What is... I mean, yeah, so how, what was the, uh, I forget if I asked you or if you told me, what was the time frame between when he actually debuted and when, and when Elizabeth showed up? Uh, just a matter of weeks. Wow. Yeah, it really wasn't much at all. They were playing up the who's going to manage this guy. They gave him some ring time. They gave him some wins to establish that he is a big deal and being, being yeah. uh, sought after. And further down the road in the Coliseum collection, there will be an entire tape devoted to the Macho Man, which I think will cover this in a bit more detail, or at least yeah. give us the opportunity 
to cover it in a bit more detail. The Amazing Managers tape, such as its structure, did give us a chance to glimpse at this just briefly. But it's important to remember, 85, never lost. Savage, you know, you think undersized. It might take up some time to stand out to Vince as a, as a top hand. Never lost. That's right. Win, 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 win. Leading into this, this Hogan series and the tail end of 85. How do you feel about that? I thought, I thought you, it doesn't count if you just get over by never losing your matches. <laughs> I, I thought that we have to pretend that that doesn't always work in every single instance in the history mm-hmm. of man and how all your favorites and all the guys you think are over in some, some, some way, some ethereal way. Some how about men- it always works? Right. These guys. How think about are- when you win, you get over? Right. How about the people sit there and decide only to care about you until you've been undefeated for several months. How about that's always been the way of pro wrestling and continues to this day. And to pretend otherwise is to attempt to manipulate the boys into doing things against their interest Mm -hmm. and putting the leverage in your hands when it comes time to decide the fate of their entire livelihoods and careers based on some whim and based on some personal affront or some political misstep backstage that's invisible to everybody. You can turn around so you can do the job and we'll see how his attitude is. There was some matches with Tito Santana on the lead-up to the Hogan series that Savage had Mm -hmm. that records indicate were either disqualification losses for Randy Savage or maybe in one or two instances, clean pin losses. It is kind of typical that before you put somebody in there with the champion, um, even if you put them on a win streak, you do get a couple of wins on tape, uh, a couple of losses on tape. Sometimes, this happened a lot. Ivan Koloff talked about this. You you don't necessarily show them on TV even. Um, Right. Right? He had Mario Milano from Australia come in and pin the guy so that if he didn't do business, when it came time to drop the championship to, uh, to um, Backland, no, he dropped it to a Bruno. Um, who called off? No, Koloff dropped it to Pedro. Pedro. When it came, yeah. What am I saying? When it came time to do business, you know, if for some reason you wouldn't drop the belt, you've got this tape of this guy losing that then you can play. So that's the leverage. That is so fucking funny. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> it's kind of the same principle where Brock came back in 2012 and they had seen it beat him right away. And people are like, what the fuck was that about? Well, Part of the reason you do that is because if you let him run roughshod again, considering the way it ended in the past between the two and how hard the negotiation was, presumably, to get him back, the last thing you wanted was for him to quit again after coming in and bulldozing your top guy. So you test his attitude, see how he reacts. I mean, really, you think in this day and age that that would have fucking mattered? What would have mattered? If, 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 if Cena had lost in that first match, you think it would have fucking mattered that he bulldozed through him and then quit? I don't know. I don't know. I think I think they they wanted to obviously go really hard with him, but not until they were able to prove to themselves that he would be willing to do business when the time came. I don't think you yeah. want to put the belt on him and then have him disappear again. No, I don't think you want that. Well, I agree with that, but he didn't beat Cena for the title right away. No, he didn't, no. But he, he lost, and so they had this, at least if Lesnar disappeared, they could say that John Cena beat him and so care about Cena. I thought it was so stupid. It, yeah. At the time, it made... This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. 
This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It, it boggled the mind at the time. But when you I'm, consider it in the broader context of what they do when guys are a question mark yeah, in terms of building this to do old- business. But like at this point, you've already established the fan. The fans already know. Like, I guess, sure. In in the territory days, absolutely. Right. In the days of old, absolutely. But in but in a day when the fans are booing John Cena left and right and don't give a shit, and they realize that you don't care how they react to him, that you're still going to have him as the top guy. What does that do? Yeah. What does it matter? Like, I guess, what does it matter if he beats Cena? You're still going to push Cena to the stars, and no one's going to fucking drop off. It's kind of a weird vestige. It's kind of a weird thing that promoters still cling to as important, I think. I think uh, we're seeing it with CM Punk now. With his um, abrupt exit from AEW, of course, due to circumstances after winning the world title again, for a while in the past, last time this happened, wasn't an abrupt exit, but he got injured the day after he won the championship. So Tony Khan was like, I got to do an interim championship. Because we can't just leave this thing right. hanging where the champion can walk out the door and tomorrow we crown a new champion and pretend that champion never held it and, and there's no reconciliation. Now he's, that's probably going to have to happen because it doesn't look like CM Punk's going to come back necessarily. Right. But that instinct for interim, that instinct for like, we can't have, a, we can't have somebody uh, get a huge victory and then disappear and move on and pretend it didn't happen without having some kind of insurance in the bank. You can't just uh, flip the script the next, uh, flip the page the next day. It still survives that attitude and outlook towards the thing you're saying. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, and I'm and I am admittedly imposing this perspective onto what happened with Tito and Randy Savage according to match results at the time ahead of the Hogan series. But it did strike me that he clearly came in with the with the idea and the game plan of having him win television matches all year to set him up as a credible challenger to Hulk Hogan. But yet there are a few hiccups, and as we know, he is really intercontinental title bound in '86, not world title bound. Right. But it is a goddamn cool thing that he comes in and works with Hogan from day one. I feel like people think he progresses to Hogan up to 88 and 89. Right. But no. he comes right away. After. No. And it's a, and, and there's a series, too. Like, they go, I mean, they, they, didn't they have a, they've had a couple in the Boston Garden, too, right? I don't know. We'll take a look at everything in 85. I don't think they hit Boston in 85. No, 86, though. But, like, it continued. It did. It did. Like, yeah. they had this program all over town, but not. You know, not building to it, like letting it kind of simmer. Letting it simmer. And there were periods in late 85 where Savage is kind of oscillating between, you know, cutting promos on and wrestling Hogan on big shows and wrestling Tito Santana on big shows. So he's sort of straddling the line between chasing the Intercontinental and world titles. Obviously, it would be the Intercontinental title that he would capture in February 86 uh, over Tito in the Boston Garden. That would set that on the course. But in 85, it wasn't clear. It could have been one or the other. And again, it started September 28th. 1985 at the Spectrum in Philadelphia 
Again, I believe the match that's featured in a photograph on the cover of Best of WWF Volume 6. And it's the first time these ever, uh, these two wrestlers ever met, I think, ever. I don't think they ever crossed paths in Memphis or, or uh, Louisville, Lexington, any of the areas that Savage worked before this. I highly doubt it. And um, that's huge because of how historic this feud is. I mean, oh, think totally. about it. Where do you put this feud? I mean, this is some of the oh, most lucrative God. stuff, angles, matches these guys have ever done, the WWF has ever done. <sighs> And I mean, it was, yeah, I, I mean, and it was one of those things they went back to so many fucking times, you know, when you look at some, so many of those, um, you know, uh, different Coliseum videos later on, like there's so many Hogan Savage matches on those tapes from, you know, throughout the years and stuff. And it's, it's. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to really decide. I'd have to break it down and figure out what the top feuds are. It's got to be up there, though. It's up there for sure. Yeah, and that's something, too. We're kind of planting a flag for the rest of the Coliseum collection because, like you said, in many different iterations, we're going to see this play off, play out, I, I should say, again. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there is a, at least one Hogan-Savage match in at maybe four out of the out of the six Hulkamania. Wow. I mean, I I think he, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that that they fight all the time on those tapes. Yeah, so if nothing else let the uh, Coliseum collection be a bit of a tribute to the Hogan Savage feud at least in the early years here. We flip the page to 1986 has talked about the trio of tapes that this one belongs to is um of course grudge matches which was the the specialty video of the three video set. As we covered two weeks ago, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, which of course is the individual wrestler biography personality profile tape that they like to make part of the trio of releases. And of course, one best of, this one being best of uh, volume six. And so when we go back and talk about Hogan Savage in 85, we do have to start in the Spectrum, September 28th, 85. Fortunately, Mm -hmm. as all Spectrum shows were at the time, this did air on television in Philadelphia on the Prism television channel, the cable channel that would air the Spectrum cards in their entirety to be alive in that time period. Thank you very much. Yeah, right. So uh, the match is there, it's available on YouTube, and it's something to behold as uh, Randy Savage takes the main event stage for the first time in the WWF and finds out that he's perfectly comfortable and definitely belongs there and the fans embrace him with a venom that really befits a top heel, Totally playing the Liz thing beautifully. So let's start a little bit before the Hogan-Savage match featured on this tape and the last few days of 1985. Let's go back to September and let's go to the series of promos that Randy Savage cut for his first main event run in the WWF. Here, we'll start with Savage Zero Boss as right. he uh, starts to set the stage for the, the antagonism towards the Hulkster. Title town, yeah, because the title is spelled before now. I am so excited that I am busting and bubbling all over. Hulk Hogan, yeah. You were going to have to meet the macho man Randy Savage right there in the spectrum. Yeah, right there in the spectrum. And me and beautiful Elizabeth are going to come down that aisle, yeah. And if you're a betting man, and I'm talking to all the people across the land and all over the world, and you want to make a lot of money, and if you want a sure thing, bet it all. Bet it all on one of those Hulkamania fans that think that the Macho Man is not going to take Hulk Hogan because I guarantee victory, yes. I guarantee victory in the spectrum because that's title town. And 
I got the luck of the lady, yeah. I picked my manager and I got the possess factor going on and on and on. And fill it off here. We're going to let that building burn down. Will he win it, Elizabeth? Oh, definitely. He, she says he'll win it. Well, let's find out for There's ourselves. No doubt about it. Wait a minute right now. Put the microphone in front of me. Hulk Hogan, look into my baby blue eyes right now and realize that the rain is over. In Philadelphia, you're going to have to see what Metro Madness is. Yeah. Look at me, baby. And they're playing fucking St. Elmo's Fire there. <laughs> yeah, that's back when they would actually use real music on their television shows and let us care. Feel that passion. Just how far I go. Do you know who that was holding the stick? It clearly wasn't Gene. No, who was it? Freddie Miller. Oh, this, this, the really, really, yes. Wow. The uh, MC who welcomes Vince McMahon onto the stage of the Black Saturday World Championship Wrestling episode Ooh. on TBS that our Hopper winner yes. has selected coming soon. Obviously, we're in the lab putting that one together because that's yeah. a biggie. That's a big day. This Saturday in 1984 that Vince McMahon took over the uh, traditional Georgia Championship, World Championship Wrestling time slot on TBS, thus beginning the blood feud with Ted Turner and all the rest. Yeah. But uh, yeah, for a little while, Freddie Miller, after the purchase of Georgia Championship Wrestling, majority shares by Vince McMahon came to work for the WWF and was doing backstage interviews, including that one. Just a few months after Black Saturday here, setting up September 28th, 1985 at the Spectrum. But there you see Randy Savage making a reference to Elizabeth, and she's all smiles there. Uh, he's not really being antagonistic towards her or browbeating towards her quite yet. He's not abusing her yet. Right. Yeah, or at least he wasn't putting that into overdrive on every single promo he did, as would become the case, certainly heading into the Hogan series. Right. And what a bit of foreshadowing that was in terms of, you know, what would be the real money element between these two storyline-wise in 89 is, of course, the affections of Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Touching women, that's where I see it right there. Touching them, getting it done. I am the macho man, Randy Savage, and I'm looking at people. I'm looking at people touching women. And I'm going to tell you right now, if anybody's going to touch a woman, it is going to be the macho man. I've done it. I get it done. I touch them, they fall for me. I count them, and they count the lights, if you know what I mean. Uh Uh-huh. I've done it and I get it done. Is that what, is that what he said? That is what he said. <laughs> um, so yeah, forget scent of a woman or <laughs> touch of a woman for the macho man. That's right. Um, so September 28th, 85 uh, is the first meeting between the two. And uh, we go now to um, uh, Savage One, boss, uh, as we get a little bit of a flavor of the atmosphere and the intensity Around this match at the Spectrum. First time they History made- making is made during the Spectrum. Yeah. I'm going to have a brand new $1 million robe, and baby, this is going to be her from all over the Where's world. Where's Elizabeth? Uh, Elizabeth's over here. You're going to come out right now because i got a question uh, to ask you anyway. Yeah. Don't get smart. This is my big night. Yeah, Elizabeth, is the shampoo ready? Tell me now. No, talk to me. I said, uh, I told you to talk. Mm-hmm. There's a champagne ready. I didn't tell you to talk right there, did I? Did I tell you to speak right there? You only speak when spoken to. You understand? You're talking to the next world heavyweight champion. You understand that? Doesn't that mean anything to you? We're hours and seconds away. Now go ice the champagne. Get out of here. Go ice the champagne. 
Jesus, he's going to be yeah. at the spectrum or on the spectrum. This guy is. <laughs> um, but there it is. There's the browbeating of Liz. That's in full effect by the time we get to Philly. That's for sure. Wow. So what happened there? What happened in between? That's what I want to know. Yeah. What, what happened that made him need to abuse her? Need to abuse her is the way to put it, huh, boss? Mm-hmm. I think the need, think need is the appropriate verb there. Check need the adjective, is, however. <laughs> it is the appropriate adjective. Need. So here's the flavor. Uh, here is how a live crowd took to a Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage match for the first time in the WWF. Ready Savage 2, as he makes his way to the ring, Savage starts out uh, in reference to the big-time robe that he's wearing, Gorilla Monsoon, and Dick Graham, the local Philadelphia announcer for WWF matches, Waste no time in pointing out the splendor of the Macho Man and just, just drink this in and, and allow yourself to care. Savage 2. Ever look at the ring? You talk about pretty. Well, not her. Not her. She's, she's very pretty. But he is gorgeous. <laughs> Take a look at Elizabeth. What a stunning creature. The manager of the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Look at they have matching costumes. Well, Elizabeth, you are a lot of money you're looking at right yes, there. Yes, yes. She's stunning. Oh, the eye of the tiger is the theme song playing right now. And you know not what that means, but who that means. it hard to uh, edit this for the network when the scream is Eye of the Tiger is the song they're playing right now. I, I, it's, it's, it's very distracting. This is not Hulk Hogan's music. But to the original Hulkamaniacs, the original rock and wrestling era, I don't know what that is. This is the song that matters. I don't know what that is. I think it's safe to say it's a happening loss. Very uncomfortable.
and it is for the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship. Introducing the challenger from Sarasota, Florida, weighing 237 pounds, Macho Man Randy Seven. That's heat, brother. For Liz, the useful savage from day one. The opponent from Venice Beach, California, weighing 307 pounds, the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion, Hulk Hogan. Hulkamania is alive and well in Philadelphia. Hulkamania has captured the imagination of people not all over the country here in Philadelphia but all over the world it is something to to feel to experience well macho man can talk his head off talk uh, Hulk Hogan's head off he's gonna have to get it on shortly but this is what he's been waiting for this yep. is what he's been striving for all these past months here in the World Wrestling Federation accumulating that very impressive win record this is the hottest item this is what the world wrestling federation championship committee deems the number one challenger that's why he's got the greatest opportunity of his life right here right now mm. there it is the championship committee has decided randy macho man savage is the top contender to hulk hogan's championship and uh excitement in the air boss i mean that that sounds like a, a show i'd want to be at yeah, I'd say that, uh, you know, it might be interesting. So that's the Philadelphia match and in terms of the way it plays out. Um, they, of course, mentioned that Savage is not macho because of what he's doing to Elizabeth, so that's fully ensconced. You could hear the pop for Liz, but the booze for Savage. I, I find it pretty interesting that even though Savage was always a heel in this early day, never did they consider Liz a heel for managing him. Yeah, yeah. Just had too much... Just natural charisma is this, uh, you know, uh, shrinking violet kind of, you know, baby face that they just loved her uh, no matter what. And the crowd there clear, throughout the course of the match clearly uh, eating out of Hulk Hogan's hand. I mean, oh, my God. I mean, it's it's so easy. There's nothing the guy can't do that they don't respond to. And it was he, so easy for him. really was. He had just such magnetism. He was such a... A cartoon come to life in that ring, man. People, and, and again, not in a bad way, not in a pejorative way. Kind of you would say about him later. It was right. just like this guy is just bursting with personality with every move he makes, and the people are just with him. And he has no trouble selling for the smaller Randy Savage in terms of getting, you know, sympathy behind him. He he demolishes the idea that the baby face should be undersized relative to the heel. Yeah, it still makes you know a hell of a dynamic when he does face a King Kong Bundy or an Andre the Giant or a John Studd who is bigger than him. But still, I mean, the guy had absolutely no trouble with, with Randy Savage. And that's a lot of, you know, a testament to Savage as well, knowing how to work his spots in in a way where it doesn't diminish Hulk Hogan or put Hulk Hogan in a position to have to look, you know, weak next to a smaller wrestler. Right, right. But making it perfectly, like, feasible and acceptable that Savage would get the upper hand doing the, the underhanded things he does throughout the course of the contest. This is where he starts putting Elizabeth between him and his opponent at ringside, of course, as we've talked about. We'll get a, a healthy dose of that as... Uh, this period of WWF unfolds 
Um, Savage at one point does the flare bump in the corner, but he does it Sean style. He goes inside out when he gets tied up wow. in the tree of woe. That is something we don't see in uh, in the match that's on this Coliseum home video. Um, Savage. Too short. Yeah, I guess, is that why you think? I think so. Um, but he takes that bump, uh, and Hulk, of course, kicks the shit out of him when he's tied in the tree of woe. People go nuts for that. Again, the spot at ringside where he lifts Elizabeth out of the way. When Hogan does that, that gets a huge pop. We see that also in the... I, I feel like they're probably, like, after this match, whoa, whoa, whoa you, you guys got to... Come on. This is... You got to tone it down. This is just fucking Philadelphia. All right? Right. Oh, please. All right, these guys don't deserve good stuff. It's dirty Philadelphia. It's the city of brotherly shit. So you just... You got to fucking put that in a box. Save it for special time. I don't know if that's Vince talking or Tito Santana because Tito (laughs) would sing much the same tune about working with Randy Savage in these early days, how we'd go out there and just Savage. We just want to be doing all of these showboaty athletic, you know, things to showcase his athleticism. Really? Yeah. In contrast to what you'd expect out of a heel and how a heel works in New York. And Tito tells the story of having to sit Savage down and kind of walk him through like what the heel psychology is in New York and how, People just aren't going to respond if you go out there and just try to show them everything you can do as a heel because that's not what they want out of the heel. And uh, fortunately for Tito, or at least as he tells the story, Savage seemed to register the advice and, and, and believe what Tito was saying and trust in it and adjusted the style. And from then on, Tito was very happy with Savage's matches, but he just felt like Savage would call way too many drop kicks. He'd call <laughs> way too many high spots for a heel. You know, and Tito is obviously, as we talked about, the Greg Valentine matches and the cage match, pretty much an expert at how to match the uh, the expectations of the New York Territory babyface fan crowd, you know, what they want, when they want you right, to build back right. for the comeback, how much they expect out of the heel before that, how to not confuse people as to who they should be more impressed by, the heel or the face. Mm. But here, uh, I don't know, no signs here against Hulk Hogan that he's taking any of the shine off the Hulkster. Hulkster seemed delighted to work with him. Yeah, I'll say. And, uh, yeah, we get that. We get... Kind of a funky series of finishes. It seems like they're definitely booking finishes in this Hogan series to still protect Savage and his undefeated streak and give him outs. It's not like he goes out there and just one, two, three leg drop in 85. That's not how it goes. And no, this- it's like he's, he's he's realizing that, I don't know, I don't know if he knew this ahead of time or what, but, but Savage, is a, um, Savage is a long-term guy. Right, right. That much is it's clear. It's not a one and done. And what's that? Uh, remind folks here in Best of WWF Volume 6 what the finish is. Um, with, uh, on this show, on this, uh, match. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's Savage wins by count out. There you go. So wins. Hogan hasn't even declared the winner of the match. So. In fact, it, 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 Savage thinks he wins the belt, puts the belt on. He does. Walks around. And he does the same thing in Philly, except it's not a count out win for him. It's a disqualification win for Hogan. No, it's not disqual. It's kind of a pinfall. I'll talk about it. I call it a DQ cause it's so screwy, but. What happens is at one point in the match, Hulk hits essentially the, the Akshibumba, as we know, mm-hmm. the Axe Bomber Lariat, and at one, two, three, and the people react like it's three, though Savage clearly kicked out, the ref slaps three, so people are going nuts, but they just continue wrestling. And at first glimpse, it's like, oh, they blew that spot, Joey Morella, the referee. But they keep going in such a way, and the match actually comes to its conclusion in such a way where you feel like they might have actually done a false finish on purpose to, mm. you know, establish the idea that... um. You know, Savage lost, but he didn't lose. Uh, didn't lose. Trying to have it both ways, perhaps. Uh, after that, Savage misses his top rope elbow drop, and then Hogan drops not a leg, but an elbow of his own on the canvas, and then hooks up Savage again. And this time, the rat 
the referee slaps three, even though Savage kicked out clearly. So they do it basically twice. Um, Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. On the first one, the Axie Boomba, it's almost like the referee only hits two and the people react like it's three and the bell uh-huh. rings. But, and they, it's like, like the timekeeper got the wrong signal as to when the match yeah. was going to end and how the match was yeah. going to end. Here, it's clear that Randy Savage kicks out before three, but the referee still counts three. So Hogan gets the victory. But to the people in the building, if they paid close enough attention, you know, Randy Savage did not get beat that night, the first time right. these two meet. Wow. And post-match, Savage knees Hogan in the back. Hogan tumbles through the ropes to the floor. After the bell, the Pearl Harbor job, he tosses referee Joey Morella out of the ring, rains down from the top to the floor with a world title across Hogan's neck, which he does in the garden as well on the tape. And then, uh, yeah, just like you said, he gets in the ring here after their first encounter. September 28th, 1985, and puts the WWF Heavyweight Championship around his waist, does Randy Savage, and f- flaunts himself and taunts and does a pose, does a posing routine yeah. just like Hogan yeah. would do. So that's from day one. They would rematch October 13th, 85, at the Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, according to results, Hogan defeating Savage. Doesn't say how. They then wrestle the next time, November 16th, 1985, at the L.A. Sports Arena. Hogan getting the victory there. They wrestle November 1785 in Oakland. Remember, Vince had started expanding first to California after buying out Mike LaBelle and the L.A. operation and was doing, uh, doing shows in California before anybody really said, this guy's going to try to take over the world, isn't he? Yeah. But it was, uh, you know, that territory was so dead and had so little going on, the Olympic Auditorium uh, era uh, area, that uh, I think it was just seen as Vince sort of um, helping somebody out in a Mike LaBelle who was very friendly with his father than it was... Vince planning the first flag of what would become a big-time expansion. So they're out there already in, in 85 and 84, even, in California. I think even in late 83, they were out there. Uh, because I think Vince made the deal to buy out Michael Bell in 82, if not 83. So anyway, uh, in Oakland, um, Hogan beats Savage again. They go to Minneapolis, Hogan's old stomping grounds in the AWA. Yeah. November 28th, 85, at the Met Center in Bloomington, Minnesota, Hulk Hogan defeats Savage. They go to Uniondale, New York, on December 5th of 85 at the Nassau Coliseum. Uh, Hogan and Tito defeating Randy Savage and Jesse Ventura in a tag match there. Richfield, Ohio, December 26th, the day after Christmas, 85, Hogan beat Savage. Mm-hmm. And then here, December 30th, 1985, Madison Square Garden, soak it in, feel the warmth, feel the coolness and the warmth at the same time somehow. Coming out of the cold to the garden, you know what I mean? Yes. Feel the heat of Hogan Savage, as depicted here in Best of the WWF Volume 6, and as you said, Randy Savage defeating Hulk Hogan, that's what the record books will go down reading. On this night, via count out. And to get ourselves uh, sated, get ourselves set, get ourselves appetized uh-huh. for the match to come, a series of promos here from the Macho Man. Ooh. And just invite yourself to imagine being on your couch watching mm. 
WWF television, you know, 10 Hulk different Hogan. shows they had on back in 85. Hulk Hogan, I get it. You think you're macho. You think you're on the top of the mountain. But I am the macho man, Randy Savage. I get it done. I look above. I look to see where I am. I look down below. And I see you, Hulk Hogan. I see you walking along trying to figure out where you're going. And so I say, hey, Hogan, look up here at the top of the mountain. It's the Macho Man. I'm going to take a fucking leak all over your face. Cut. I got it. Huh? No, go ahead. Go ahead, Randy. Go ahead. What's going on? Does someone yell cut? I'm the Macho Man. You don't fucking yell cut until I fucking cut you. Uh-huh. Hogan, I got my cock. <laughs> They're thinking, all right, finally it's back on the rails. He's turning his attention back to Hogan. And the Hogan. first thing he says is, I got my cock out. <laughs> Hulk Hogan, I pulled my trunks down. I got my cock out between my hands. Between and my I am hands. unloading the urine stream that is coming for you. I'm going to leak all over you like you've never leaked before. You're wearing the red and yellow, and you got your orange goblin tan. But I can tell you right now, you're going to be yellow all over from my fucking piss. Oh, yeah. You're going to be yellow all over. From my fucking piss. I think that one would go down in history as the savage piss promo that never made air. But somehow leaked on right. YouTube in 2013. Savage 3? Savage 3. All right, good morning fans of the Big Apple. A tremendous World Wrestling Federation extravaganza slated for Madison Square Garden on Monday night, December the 30th, our holiday spectacular. Tag team title defense, Greg the Hammer, Valentine, Brutus Beefcake to meet Hillbilly Jim and Uncle Elmer. And Hulk Hogan, heavyweight champion of the world after a long absence from Madison Square Garden, defends against the very controversial macho man, Randy Savage. Freaked out! Gene Okerlund, right now, everybody stop because we got the match of the century coming up real, real soon. December the 30th, yeah. Hulk Hogan versus the Macho Man Randy Savage, and this is, yeah, the match of the century. And I'm going to go out on a limb right now, yeah, and I am going to guarantee victory for the Macho Man Randy How Savage. How can you the guarantee? WWF World Heavyweight Championship belt will fall. December the 30th in Madison Square Garden. A little verification right now. Elizabeth, come on in here. Face the video scope right now. Oh, my. Face the video scope right now. How are you, Elizabeth? I'm fine. Don't ask a question right now. Real important. Talking about the match of the century. What kind of a chance does Hulk Hogan have of keeping his world title against the Macho Man Randy Savage? Oh, well, hardly any at all, Macho Man. You're the best. Well, wait a minute. Now, back up on that statement. What do you mean, hardly any at all? I meant no chance. I meant yeah, none. Yeah, you know you don't. You know Get out of here right now. No mistakes! December the 30th, yeah. Joe Namath said at one time, a long time ago, he guaranteed victory right here in New York. And the macho man Randy Savage is doing the same thing, but triple in the intensity, and it will happen. Madison Square Garden Holiday Spectacular, December the 30th. We're right back. Wow. So, yeah, All he right. guaranteed victory, and he got it.
Yep. And you, he did. You catch he how did. we caught he, Elizabeth qualifying her statement there? Yes, I did. What do you mean, hardly? She better keep her mouth shut. Unreal. Could you imagine waking up in this market on that crisp oh. winter morning and hearing that promo and having what about tickets this? to the garden? Fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that. What about this? What about Christmas morning? Come on. Don't. You wake up. Oh, you don't. There's an envelope on the tree that has your name on it. What's in you're the envelope, boss? You've been, spending, you've been spending the whole fall into Christmas telling your parents you want to go, and they said, no, no, no. We can't go. We can't afford it. You're not going to, you're not going to go to, to, to fucking WrestleMania. On That's your, too rough. You're too young for that stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's fake, son. I'm not going to take you to a fake event. And then Christmas morning, there's a fucking envelope on your on, on the tree. Your name's on it. You open it up. Tickets. God. Tickets you got, you the, got God. the Monday off because it's holiday week? Of course. You know, you're off until until the second or third of the of the new year. And now you got tickets. Now you can go. Now you can tell all your friends and make them jealous. When you get back to school. That's some legendary shit. Those phone calls to your friends over the holiday break, bragging about what yep. you got, and then bragging yep. about what they oh, got. Oh, yeah. Hogan Savage, bitch. That's it. God. And to hear those promos to get hyped. Oh, how, yeah. How about this one? Savage 4. All right, New York City, good morning, and a happy, and a healthy, and a prosperous 1986 to one and all. Here at the Big Apple this Monday night, Madison Square Garden, the Felt Forum will be open and a phenomenal World Wrestling Federation card as we close out with our holiday spectacular calendar 1985 and what a superb year it has been for the World Wrestling Federation and for the great fans in Connecticut, New Jersey, and New York, the entire wrestling world. This Monday night, Macho Man Randy Savage coming to town from Sarasota, Florida, to challenge heavyweight champion of the world, Hulk Hogan, for that coveted title, sir. Oh, yeah. The uncrowned world heavyweight champion is the macho man Randy Savage, and I will come to Madison Square Gardens to claim the world heavyweight championship belt Monday night. Oh, yeah. In the match of the century, let no one understand anything different after the smoke clears and after it's all over after the match of the century is history everyone will know the truth that I am the greatest of all time the macho man Randy Savage is the greatest of all time oh yeah oh yeah I am Savage the greatest of all time Hulk Hogan, December the 30th, is history, and I have never been so up before, but when I walk down the aisle with Elizabeth and Madison Square Garden with my new one million dollar robe, everyone will understand. A garden of Felt Forum open for this Monday night. Ah. I want it so bad. this Monday night. I want it so bad. I know. You can't have it. It's over. It's dead. There will never be another promo like that. Telling me to go to my arena, a promo just from my market, to sell tickets to my building. Oh, fuck no. 
Those were the best, man. Now you get those a generic ad. It made of you all feel. The, it made you feel so special. I told you this. Like when they would always advertise for for Boston or Worcester, I'm like, does anyone else get wrestling? Right. <laughs> like, how are we the lucky ones to always get live shows? Like, are they all the ones secrets? Because I know they go other places. They advertise other towns. Now it's just What's like see WWE live, and it shows like generic footage and pyro. We got eighteen hundred new towns that we're coming to oh, see yeah. it live. Okay, just just what I need to buy to be motivated to buy a ticket. A reminder that this is a big national traveling circus, and this is just one <laughs> stop on the way. It's a circus. Calling it the match of the century, Savage is wasting no it. time going hard into putting this mm. in the upper echelon of matches in WWF history. And he keeps saying greatest of all time because he's trying to gesture to a T-shirt he's got underneath his robe that it takes the camera a little while to figure out that they need to pan down to. Yeah, right. So he says greatest of all time like three times there to get that across. But yeah, he guarantees victory. And he does get it as mentioned by Countout, if nothing else. So the bragging yeah. rights and momentum continuing. And is Gene Oakland right about 85? I mean, as we... I mean, he, he can't... It is a superb year, no question. So we get to take stock via the Coliseum Collection on what that year was. And the WWF we're seeing now as we turn the page to 86 versus the one we saw when we started the Coliseum collection, late 83, early 84. Yeah. Wow. What what an evolution. I mean, you see the early seeds, you see the proto era, you see them still, they're coming out of that darkness, you know? And it's not darkness in terms of like low business, but just presentation, look, feel. Yeah. It's getting brighter. It's getting, there's more pop. It's, they're starting to hit their groove. And uh, Hogan Savage, no uh, small example of that. Yep. One more. This one's a Christmas theme promo from the Macho Man who is Ooh. clutching for reasons that aren't entirely clear. Ho, ho, ho. Empty trash can. Mm-hmm. I've got the Christmas gift for Hulk Hogan. I am Santa Claus, the Macho Claus. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is not only the match of the century, it's the match of the millennium. I said it. I made the claim, and I'm going to guarantee, because I am the spirit of Christmas. I am Sinterklaas. Yes. I am Macho Pear Noel, and I'm going to get it done. Madison Square Garden's going to freak out when Hulk Hogan is lying underneath my Christmas tree, and I'm not going to give him any fucking water. It's game over. The coal is in the ass of Hulk Hogan, and the macho man Randy Savage is going to shove it so far up his ass, he's going to be able to give Elizabeth a nice, beautiful 24-karat diamond, and that's the way that it is, because the macho man is fucking Christmas. (laughs) I love how you're going down the path of a Perfectly acceptable, damn good Randy Savage promo, ready for air. And then it always takes like a minute and a half. He says, fuck. He never starts out with the... He just loses it. Right, he just can't... He can't help but go there after he gets more and more intensified. (laughs) It's fucking money, and it's a great Christmas promo. Here's what actually happened. Savage 5, again, Randy gripping an empty garbage can for this promo. (laughs) Yeah, that's your Christmas present right here, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Hulk Hogan. Because 
few days after Christmas year, December the 30th, 1985, in Madison Square Garden, you're going to lose your WWF World Heavyweight Championship belt in the match of the century. Oh, yeah, you are. Oh, yeah, you are. And I'm guaranteeing victory, Mean Gene Oakland. Just as I say, Hulk Hogan, climb into the garbage can. The total control, yeah. <laughs> total control, oh, Elizabeth. Yeah. Steering to the video scope right now and say Merry Christmas to Hulk Hogan. Oh, Merry Christmas, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and also tell him it's too bad that you're going to lose your belt to the macho man, Randy Savage. No, you'll lose your belt to the macho man, Randy yeah, Savage. Yeah, definitely lose your belt to the macho man, Randy Savage. Go you'll, ahead, you'll definitely lose your belt to yeah, the macho okay, man. Yeah, okay, now get out of here because here's the time that you get... Yeah. Merry Christmas, Randy Savage. Watch your land. Madison Square Garden, Monday, December the 30th. We're going to be right back. He's <laughs> fucking awesome. <laughs> God, this guy hits a fucking home run. He's got the whole stick down already. He's yep. already ready. 85, so Savage is ready for this, for this opportunity in this moment, in this spotlight, in this program. Just be there on December thirtieth, eighty-five. Well, we'll do our next best thing as we deep dive that match as part of the best of the WWF Volume Six here on Coliseum Home Video. And another thing we're fortunate to be able to address on Mm -hmm. this episode because it happens to be included on the tape is Jesse the Body Ventura. Sure. Now, when WWF began its its talent raids, and of course Minneapolis being one of the key places, Jesse was brought in with high hopes. Definitely plans for a a Hogan Jesse series. It was bubbling in the AWA. It had done business in the AWA. Hogan came first. Jesse came a little bit later as uh, Ventura was a bit underwhelmed by what Vern had to offer to keep him around as the New York money was <laughs> definitely um, reaching all corners of the wrestling world in 83 and 84. Hogan, of course, coming in the last weekend, this weekend, this um, Christmas weekend of 83 mm. uh, from AWA. But it became clear due to Jesse Ventura's health problems that he wasn't going to have much of an in-ring career in the WWF. That uh, We talked about this um, when we did the made-for-TV biopic on him, on Under yep. the Cinemat. Yeah. He was and on his way. He was on his way, yeah. So he had like a blood clot issue that basically made him medically unfit to get licensed to wrestle. And slowly but surely, he transitioned into a television personality, a commentator. When Saturday night's main event gets started, they sign him to a deal to commentate the shows as heel color, and that begins his really revolutionary role in terms of WWF television, kind of introducing that idea of the heel color guy. And he also gets the body shop talk show in the vein of Piper's Pit that we've seen sampled on recent Coliseum home videos. He does a lot of TNT appearances, just dressing flamboyantly and trying to embody the 80s and flash rock style. There's a lot of that in the WWF magazine of him talking about fashion and talking about what's hip and what's cool and all that. So he's, he's going much more to just like this fashion plate character, not unlike Fred Velassi a bit in terms of like post-wrestling career, but updated for the 80s. Mm. And uh, I hope, boss, we can call on your expert reading services here um, mm-hmm. for some, some articles in the WWF magazine that'll help us recontextualize Jesse Ventura. Sure. For the moment we find ourselves in as we turn the page to 1986 and it becomes very clear he's not going to wrestle again for Titan or for anybody for that matter uh, for the rest of his days. And just how WWF chose to refocus the Jesse Ventura character and, and the trajectory of him and where he's heading. 
Uh, I have it in, in four slices there. You see Jesse Mack, yeah. one, two, three, four. Yep. And uh, let's start with that. Let's set the table in and around Jesse, and we'll talk more about why it's important to revisit Jesse based on where we are in the Coliseum collection here in a moment. Sure. Few people were better prepared for the current phenomenon known as the rock and wrestling connection than Jesse the Body Ventura. The mammoth world wrestling entertainment brawler from the crazy lands of California has always stood out as a bit of an eccentric, even with the sport's vast array of colorful people. With his sequins wraparound shades and preference for tie-dyed clothing, he could easily be mistaken for a heavy metal artist, or as one New York area reporter described him, an outlaw biker. In fact, Jesse's style, in and out of the ring, was heavily influenced by the 1960s lost generation, and music is the number two passion in his life, second only to the squared circle. A short time ago, Jesse put his feelings on vinyl, releasing two tracks on the Twin Tone Records label in Minneapolis. Never one for modesty, Ventura requested that his likeness be engraved into the record. So everybody can look at my beautiful body while they hear my beautiful voice. Well, what would that sound like? Why don't we hit Jesse the body, uh, Jesse body rather, uh, piece of sound here to get a flavor of what they're talking about. hit song. <laughs> I don't say there's anything wrong with it at all, Jess. I don't know why you assumed there was something wrong. <laughs> Wait, why mean, is everybody just getting down on me? Why is everybody coming it's up like with I'm records? like I'm against the world right now. <laughs> why, uh, why do all these wrestlers have records? What the fuck is uh, the idea here? Because you I mean, know what? They want anything they can do to get out of wrestling. <laughs> I right, mean, I kind of get the, the wrestling album, you know, with the MTV crossover. I kind of get the Cyndi Lauper stuff. I do get the Cyndi Lauper stuff. But, you know, why does... Why does Jerry Lawler have an album? What? Why? Oh, why did uh, why did the Freebirds? Like, what are they doing? Like old standards for? I don't know what he, he just it was like just in Memphis, just released in Memphis in the late seventies. Oh, and you know they just want they want these guys to be on tracks. I don't understand it. They, you know, I think I think everyone thinks that they're that they are a legit celebrity. Just seems like another you know leg on the the licensing wheel. Like if we can sell T shirts and toys with these guys, we can sell an album, and they're probably not wrong. Uh, in terms of like, you know, if you've got wrong. some some base audience you're bringing to the table, it doesn't matter. Outside of the WWE, I think they're wrong. Yeah, in '85, I think they're wrong. Oh, that anybody outside WWE would care about this music? I hope they didn't tell themselves that. No, 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 no. That I think anybody outside of the WWE could get, could think they were going to make money. Oh, right, doing music off of you know. Well, that was doing the whole music. that was the whole failure of the Freebirds coming to WWF with Dave Wolf with, that we've talked about mostly in the lamentable tragedy of world class. When, you know, Michael Hayes thought he was going to have an actual music career because of the uh, Bad Street USA song that they used to come out to and the no. record they cut. No. It's like, no, it lasted weeks. No one wants that. No one cares. Like, uh, abject indifference, the WWF audience, the Freebirds, and that whole push. Right. Even with David Wolf, one of the most powerful producers in the business, Cindy Lauper's manager, of course, involved in all the angles leading into WrestleMania 1, pushing for it. 
No. You know, probably the only reason they came over was because they thought the Dave Wolf connection would help make a Michael Hayes uh, music career. No, no one cares. No one wants to hear this. Stop. Stop. Wrestle. Yep. Get in the <laughs> ring. Fake fight. Call spots. I mean, we just heard it. What's, what is Jesse cutting this record for? I really don't know. I really don't know. Feel free it to continue. No Feel free to continue. All right. Um, Jesse's picture disc features two songs praising the wrestlers Matt Finesse and taunting future challengers. In a voice that could not could be mistaken for none other, he performs what he calls heavy metal rap. <laughs> Is he Kid Rock? Watch what I'm... Hey, you know, watch what I'm doing here. I'm doing heavy metal rap from Minneapolis. You ever hear that? No. Heavy metal Minneapolis. It's the it's the birthplace of heavy metal rap. Yep, and it's heavy. also it's it's death place. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm making a whole new uh, kind of uh, you know music genre that we can sell to everybody. God, even my son listens to it. It's fantastic. <laughs> Big fan, Tyrell. <laughs> See on the record, do you have a song named after him? Like Heaven Needed a Champion what? is another in, example. Uh, <clears throat> in the next one, we're going to have Tyrell sing a song. And then I'm going to sing a song about Tyrell. And then we'll have an album, Tyrell the Album. <laughs> and oh. then my mom. We have, Ty- <laughs> we have Tyrell the Wine, so why not? <laughs> You know, it's been very hard for us to get the name Tyrell down to the uh, to the vineyards. Yes. One of my biggest, um, you know, one of my biggest uh, 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 beautiful successes with having my name, having Tyrell's name on a, on a, on a wine brand. Well, well, remind me, Jess, that's all well and good, but what's the genre of music you're performing here? Well, what I've introduced to the public is heavy metal rap. Heavy metal rap. You an atmosphere coming out of the Twin Cities. Just heavy metal rap. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you a question, uh, Jess. Does that come with guacamole? Well, you know, one of the one of the promotions that we had was if you uh, if you bought a, bought one of the albums, one of my heavy metal rap albums, you got a free guacamole at uh, at the Santana's Mexican restaurant in Minneapolis. <laughs> Santana's, not only does he tease Tito Santana his whole career for, you know, Mexican food, he actually goes ahead and opens a joint <laughs> in the Twin Cities just to troll him with Santana's name on it because he knows it pisses him off. We'll give you a free guacamole. But I think... And maybe, you know what, if you if you buy two albums, maybe we'll give you a, a free chimichanga as well. Well, of all the things Vince McMahon has ignorantly and mistakenly referred to a burrito as, I think probably more than once he called it a heavy metal rap. <laughs> and, because, you know, the Chipotle you, you know, ones come in the metal. Can I tell you, we got this. What, what, what do I have here? What is this? What am I eating? This is, I mean, I, I, I see that it, it looks like it's in the shape of a wrap, but it's in, it's in tinfoil. This is a heavy metal wrap. <laughs> Didn't Jess make this for us one time? Hey, actually, you know what? That's you know you can't actually call it that, Vince, because uh, I own the trademark for uh, heavy metal rap. 
Tell me, uh, boss, that clip we just heard from the album, is that heavy metal rap to you? Not at all. I'm missing the, I don't know, rap and heavy it's, metal parts. It's it's crappy rock music. <laughs> it's, I mean, I guess it could be heavy metal crap. I mean, I'm no that expert, but uh, maybe our, our boy Jacob Bannon, who's got real credit yeah. in the music space, can, can illuminate for us what in 1985 yeah. Jesse Ventura meant by heavy metal rap. But <sighs> well, I don't think it was anyway. that. No. Of course, Jesse is not the first grappler to ever release a record. It is ironic that World Wrestling Entertainment champion Hulk Hogan, the man Ventura is so often compared to in terms of size and strength, also exhibited his musical abilities on a Japanese label. However, while many wrestling titans simply went into the recording studio for novelty reasons, Jesse takes his music as seriously as he takes his opponent's. Notwithstanding the comments of those who claim <laughs> Vince that, is writing again. Yeah, <laughs> there right, he is. You, you gotta not, notwithstanding there. Keith, notwithstanding. <laughs> notwithstanding the comments of, <laughs> of those who claim that Jesse is the charter member of his own fan club, his record has received acclaim from knowledgeable sources. His tunes continue to be requested on Twin Cities radio stations and fans in other regions have suggested that record stores put the picture disc in stock. Jesse was asked to open up for rocker Ronnie James Dio in Chicago, and in Los Angeles he traded body slams, leg locks, and musical advice with the legendary Ozzy Osbourne during a photo session for the rock magazine Faces. You know, meeting Ozzy Osbourne was a thrill. You know, I've been a fan of his since uh, since he was with Black Sabbath. You know, his wild stunts have uh, have put a lot of madness into a lot of people, including some wrestlers, I'm sure. When the group Mountain, creators of Mississippi Queen and other memorable hits, decided to reconcile, its members wanted to make a video for the world to remember. After careful thought, the band elected to contact Jesse the Body Ventura. The video, which has an Excalibur theme, was taped in New York Central Park. What was that? A what fe- theme? An Excalibur theme. What is it? I guess. <laughs> How did the songs go? Um, <laughs> Avalanche Runner! <laughs> hot, 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 <laughs> That's Jim. Glory. That's right, JR. I, I, I'm guessing... <laughs> What do you have to say about that, Mean Gene? <laughs> Ray Phoenix, <laughs> Poison Runner. Um, I mean, I'm guessing Excalibur the movie. I know, I know. I guess that sounds stupid, though. I mean, Excalibur was old by that point. I think I'm pretty sure Excalibur came out in like eighty or eighty two. Although you have to admit, a movie custom made for Jesse to pronounce. Eighty one. Excalibur. <laughs> kind of like a Braxus. Kind of like a Braxus. Excalibur, Braxus. <laughs> I do think there's there's room in the market for a Jesse soundboard where a Braxus. Excalibur. Braxus. You know what my name is? A Braxus Excalibur Guacamole. <laughs> That's a hell of a birth certificate. <laughs> it's a lot of a lot of syllables there. Jesse was um, born into the guacamole family <laughs> with brothers Abraxas and Excalibur. <laughs> um, 
uh, uh, taped in New York Central Park and features Ventura as a massive medieval creature struggling to pull a guitar as opposed to the mythical sword out of a rock. Mountain's frontman Leslie West recalled that in spite of the fact that the weather was a chilling 18 degrees Fahrenheit that day, Jesse refused to bundle up during breaks from the taping. Why? I had my body nicely oiled. <laughs> and I didn't want to mess it up. The entire crew marveled at Jesse's professionalism on the set. Although he was originally slated to play a shorter role in the production, the video emerged from the editing room with Jesse the Body almost as prominently featured as the band members themselves. Leslie West and Corky Lang of Mountain have since had the opportunity to listen to Jesse's picture disc and some tracks from a full album the Grappler is putting together. Impressed, they have promised to make a surprise appearance at the venue where Jesse's band is playing and jam with the body on stage. Jesse's ventures in the rock world can only help bring new fans to wrestling arenas. Jesse's ventures in the rock world can only help bring new fans to wrestling arenas. Can only help. That's another Vince phrase. Jesse's ventures in the rock world can only help bring new fans to wrestling arenas. <sighs> When rock, star, when rock superstar Cindy Lauper first entered the Mat Wars and pioneered the rock and wrestling connection, millions tuned in to World Wrestling Entertainment broadcasts to see the... Deme- yeah, that's, there's a reason, though. She's a big star. Jesse Ventura is not a big fucking rock star. He's a loser. All right? But you can see here, they're trying to will into existence his post-wrestling life. Yeah, I guess. This WWF magazine era, man, it's just name dropping. Like, they just want to get as many. Like, they'll do articles about like rock and roll acts that have nothing to do with wrestling, but like once right. mention them positively or something. And man, do they do full photo spreads of like Lou Albano on the set of Wise Guys and uh, you know Hulk Hogan? And they should cover this stuff, but man, they I are mean, just anything all they about can it. do to make it the fucking you know make it seem like the most important thing in the world. Because God knows it isn't. All right, God knows it isn't. Fuckers. Um, uh, see the the diminutive uh, singer verbally taking on Roddy Piper and his crew of bullies. Now, fans of Mountain, as well as fans of Jesse's music, <clears throat> are flocking to arenas to see Ventura's chosen profession. When these new aficionados turn on their televisions to watch matches, they'll find Jesse doing play-by-play ringside commentary on WWE broadcasts. Several million watched him call the action at the March 31st WrestleMania closed-circuit spectacular. The body, naturally dressed appropriately for the occasion, he wore a shiny silver bow tie, pink tie-dyed tuxedo, and matching do-rag, a type of head ornament. <laughs> Worn by heavy metal rappers, no doubt. Well, it's a, um, yes, well, a do-rag is a type of head ornament worn by rappers of the heavy metal <laughs> persuasion. Did Vince just sneeze? Uh, uh, no. That no, does no. not happen. No, that was... You're fired! He fired himself. I didn't... No, 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 I'm... What? Um, I didn't, what, mm. <laughs> after the match, <laughs> after the matches at a party for the wrestling participants at New York's posh rainbow grill, oh, stop more name dropping. 
Ventura even got to interview the king of wrestling commentators, Mean Gene Okerlund. What an honor. Hey, did you see how scared Mean Gene was? He knew how good an announcer I was, and he was scared that his job might be in jeopardy. He knew I was going to call you know, him on his bias. I said, fuck you, Gene. Huh? You little bitch. Yes. When What'd I you say to him? I said, fuck you, Gene. Huh? You little bitch. Nice. You know, what did you do if I kicked you in the balls right now, little man? You know, when I interviewed him at the Rainbow Grill, he was shaking in his boots. Although he has only been announcing a few months, Jesse now considers himself the greatest talker in the world of wrestling. That's how I got involved in commentating. The WWE knew the way to get ratings up was to get the greatest voice in the sport on the air. You know, I may not be the world champion, Hulk Hogan is, although that's only a matter of time. Oh, jeez, here we go. But there's no doubt I do the best commentary work in wrestling. Chump Hogan? Now, Chump Hogan. <laughs> You know, bitch. <laughs> oh, cut, Jess. We just need you to say chump from now on. We're never going to keep it yeah, in you if know, you say But bitch. here's the thing. Hulk Hogan's a bitch. I just heard Randy Savage say fuck six times on a promo. What are you, why, are you, why are you persecuting me when you got fucking Randy Savage out there saying fuck all the time? And speaking of which, what kind of royalties am I making on these tapes now that I'm an announcer, I mean, huh? Here's the thing. Yeah, what am I making for, uh, you know, what am I getting on the back end? Right. You know, I should be getting, you know, as talent, we should all be getting points. Get Getting it where? In the back end. What's up, boss? <laughs> um, yeah, but there's no doubt I do the best commentary in wrestling. Now I, now I not only have Hulk Hogan running from me, I have Mean Gene scared too, man. <laughs> oh, what an accomplishment. Maybe after I beat Hogan for the belt, I'll take Okerlund's job away from him, too. Then I'll be the champion in two categories. And that's one thing. Even when it was clear that Jesse's ship had sailed in terms of an in-ring career, he never stopped Oh my God! calling out Hogan and trying to keep a Hogan match alive in the imagination of the public. All the way down to WrestleMania Five. Remember when he does yeah. that whole... I mean, he does it. And I want it. It's... it's I mean, what... <laughs> I mean, there there's, like... For... For such a lousy in-ring performer as he was, there is nobody that I can think of that was able to get enough people excited about what a travesty of a match that would be. Right. <laughs> you know? That match would never be able to live up with expectations at yeah. all. Yeah. No matter how carefully it was booked. Yet, I wanted to see it. Everyone wanted to see it. That's the fucking main event for every WrestleMania from one through five. That it should, you know, right? Yeah, and he senses a payday there. He knows that yeah. if he's going to do one more match, it's kind of like a Saudi Arabia match today. You know, right? Right. Just never. You always leave that window open for that huge offer. Hey, you know what? Could happen. Hogan, Jesse. I'm sure the king, the king would love to see that. The, the crown, the crown prince, whatever the fuck his name is. Hey, you know what? I'd do it for Saudi Arabia. Hogan, Jesse, Saudi and Saudi. Payday. I'd take a Saudi payday against Hogan. What kind of Bring, Navy SEAL would take a payday from the, the kingdom? Hey, you know what? I don't mind taking money from, from people like that. They don't have it then, and the Americans do. See, it's all about, it's all about that kind of a commerce. 
Why is it okay for our military to target civilians in countries that he would target and has targeted? Yet when I uh, form a, a, a you know a business relationship with the man, somehow I'm the bad guy. Meanwhile, our military is killing the same civilians he is, and no one seems to notice because it's it's over there with the with people who live in the sand, and we don't care about those people. Shame I mean, on why us. Why is it not okay for me to form my own militia and go attack people overseas? <laughs> Well, Jess, we can start with the UN, but. The UN is a man-made organization. Uh, as are all organizations. Nature. That's right. Including the Navy so, SEALs. So we're talking about the law of man or the law of nature. At least you're not talking about attacking the Isle of Man. <laughs> or the Isle of McMahon. Just no, Greenwich. No, you, better, you better stay out of town. Don't come to Greenwich, the Isle of McMahon. I think, I think I think I was in the middle of making this convoluted point about you know targeting like Syrians civilians in Syria, and then you said, <laughs> "Why can't I form my own militia and go attack other countries?" <laughs> like whoa 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 hold the phone what Jess? Where's your head at? <laughs> totally. Freedom. Yeah, okay. Freedom to let uh, the hair on the back of my head just flow, like... Oh, God. In so many directions. It's just like... It's like a... It's like a tree trunk, you know? Just kind of how it just... You know, the... the it's just kind of... The, the roots just kind of span out however they go. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's constantly being trailed by static electricity. Oh, it's like all stiff. Ugh. Yeah, but you're jealous that I have hair. Right. Hogan doesn't have hair. No, he would totally put Hogan on blast for something like that. Oh, you know, yeah, absolutely. So this is all before. I, he hey, finds you know what? I shall have my hair. You're going to go to Saudi without any hair? Huh? I'm not afraid. Huh? I'm not afraid of, of, any, of any battle. You know what? I've seen more. I've seen more action in the shit than you have. I get more we'll action see. in a week than you have in your entire life. How many TVs in Vale? How many TVs? I've got in Vail? so many. Let me tell you right now. I have got. I've got eight. I've got a. I've got a. I've got a fucking LED screen for every wall of my house. One hundred inches off the grid. All right. Off the grid. I live in a, I make sure I live I, in a video hey, box. Hey, 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 you know what? I'm off the grid, but I make sure I know what's going on on the grid. Right. All right. Damn right. I didn't. I bet you didn't know I that part of living off the, off the grid is grid. loading his entire body into a tire and rolling down a hill in Guadalajara. <laughs> Nobody knows where I am at any time. <laughs> I could be anywhere at any time. Nobody knows. Just follow the trail of horchata (laughs) to find Jess sipping a white liquid, sipping (laughs) sipping liquefied rice with a mischievous smile on his face in an open-door market. If you see a trail of horchata, turn the other way. Who's the big kahuna in this deal? He's so with his leather jacket. Who's the big kahuna in this deal, huh? I'd win. 
<laughs> and I repeat, who's the big kahuna in this deal, huh? I'd win. <laughs> Before you even think of the question, there's the answer, by the way. <laughs> he is awesome. Jesse keeps giving. And this is all, by the way, before he discovers in deposition for his lawsuit against Titan Sports and Coliseum Home Video that it was Hulk Hogan who ratted out his attempts to unionize the boys at WrestleMania 2. He does not know that, so he's still obviously in the mode, as this article indicates and the other things we've talked about indicate, of still doing business with Hogan when the time and the payday is right. right. (sighs) Uh, Ventura believes he would have little trouble (laughs) winning. It does say that? It does say that. (laughs) Oh, boy. Jesse is not at all hesitant to criticize others, wrestlers, when they are in the ring, and he is at at the mic. Can you read the winning line again, the sentence again? Yes, yes. Ventura believes he would have little trouble winning. However, Keith Elliott Greenberg (laughs) writes, pending his invitation to the debates. Or, (laughs) that is, if he's allowed in the debates. Yeah, they don't want me in the debates. Said Ventura. Stroking his chin thoughtfully. You know, I could have so many people voting for me right now. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, I could easily win the presidency if I wanted it. Easy. I don't even need the debates. I'd win. <laughs> oh, I thought the whole reason you lost was because you weren't in the debates. Okay, well, this is a different story you're singing now. I just don't want to be in it. I don't want to be president. I mean, who wants that job? I was governor of Minnesota for four years. That was a miserable experience. Right. Why would I want to be president? But I could be if I wanted to. You couldn't stop me. And I could be president off the grid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he would have gotten elected in the COVID era. We didn't have to. You could be president over Zoom. You know, there's no denying it. I just call it as I see it. You know, David Sammartino, for instance, is showing me a lot more than he did six months ago. You know, but he's still riding on daddy's waves. The two even look the same. They have that same ugly nose. They have that <laughs> same that same mannerisms. You know, when I look at David, I see a clone of Bruno, and it don't impress me. The only thing that impressed me about Bruno was his intelligence. It showed through back in 1981, the first time Jesse the Body Ventura came in to the WWE. You know, Bruno retired a few months before I got there. He retired because he knew he'd never wanted to wrestle me, so the only way to get out of it was to retire. I made him the living legend. If he had wrestled me, I would have beat him so badly that that he'd be the living nothing. Well, Jesse knows only to call out Madison Square Garden headliners, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, he should thank me, but I hardly ever see Bruno. So I'll have to get uh, get his son to thank me when he's down on his knees and I'm slapping him around. Excuse me? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey oh, Keith, what are we doing to you? The copy editing on this piece here for you. Was there anything else Jesse said? Can we, can we extrapolate on this quote at all anymore? I want to get a better sense. <laughs> David Sammartino will thank me for his father. The Junkyard Dog is another wrestler who causes Jesse to scoff. <laughs> this article's he, all over the place. It's, it's, he's ignorant. 
He's from the South, and I've never gotten along with anybody from the oh, South. here we go. What Yo, about he a... eats a lot of? Here we go. Here we go. Yo, he eats a lot of strange foods, <laughs> grits and jowls and things I can't pronounce and wouldn't want to. You know, I think he's strong, tough, and real stupid. If brains were dynamite, the junkyard dog wouldn't even be able to blow his nose. Uh, what? If if brains were dynamite, the junkyard dog wouldn't be even be able to blow his nose. Thinking, thinking. Uh, Picture the hourglass uh, on your computer screen. Uh, I don't get it. Nope, I'm trying to get it, and I don't get it. About Tito Santana, you know, Chico Santana is nothing but an overrated taco salesman. No, he doesn't. (laughs) There's no way it says that. It says that. It says that? It says it. It does not say that. It says it. it. I'm pulling it up now. Is it number three? It says it. Number four on the right-hand column. Second (laughs) paragraph. You're kidding me. Chico Santana is nothing but an overrated. (laughs) Chico Santana is nothing more than an an overrated taco salesman. In fact, you know what? I hired him to work outside the street of my of my uh, where I live, right on the beach. Serves me tacos every morning: breakfast tacos, lunch tacos, dinner tacos, tacos in between. <laughs> tacos in between. My life off the grid. Eighteenth conspiracy book: Tacos in Between. My life off the grid. Why do you talk about tacos like it's something that you've like removed the CIA redaction on a document? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, like you're revealing a state secret. I swear to God, it does say it. He's it absolutely it. not kidding. Nope. nope. Chico Santana is nothing it's but not an overrated taco salesman. Yep. He sells tacos. What does that even mean? Yeah. He doesn't I mean, sell I tacos. He, I guess he, he wrestles. Works, I guess he works the streets and sells tacos. I guess. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He wrestles. He's got a, he's got a food truck going down <laughs> on, in in Manhattan. You know, just you know, give me uh, give me uh, uh, I'll have three street tacos, chicken, onions, cilantro, <laughs> and uh, cheese, please. And no, I'll have the green sauce. Green sauce, please. There's almost no chance it's not called Ariba Tacos. Oh my God! You know it's Ariba tacos, <laughs> or tacos Ariba. Yeah, that's even better. Oh. Tito Santana's nothing. <laughs> Chico Santana's nothing but an overrated taco salesman. If Greg the Hammer Valentine is interested, I'll I will accept a bounty hunter's fee to get Chico off his back real easy. We'll send him back to Mexico with a nice little taco stand. Oh my god! It does say that. It does really say that. I'd I'd be glad to go back to Mexico with a taco stand, please. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's from New Jersey. He's from yeah, right. Texas. Right, right. The British Bulldogs, Davy Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid, are two wrestlers fans love for whom Jesse expresses uncharacteristic praise. You know, they look sensational in the ring. As a tag team, they've shown me moves I had to look up myself. They've impressed me, though I don't think they're nearly as tough individually. But Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik better look out for them. 
If his wrestling, broadcasting, and rock and roll schedules were not so hectic, Ventura says he would like to try managing the British Bulldogs, although they say they would have nothing to do with a rule breaker. You know, right now they have skill, but they're not, but they're too nice. I'd make them mean, and I'd make them into champions. His premier goal is still toppling Hulk Hogan for the belt. I found the champion's weakness. You know, he's spreading himself too thin. First, he trained that goofball hillbilly and tried to move him up the ladder too fast. What happens? Johnny Valiant dislocates the hillbilly's kneecap in San Diego and puts him out of commission. Then Hogan trains Mr. T. Hogan isn't putting enough concentration on being champ. And one of these (laughs) nights, I'm going to beat him. Okay, Jess. And then Jesse the Body Ventura will get Mean Gene Okerlund, and after that, the entire music industry, and after that, anyone knows. Wow. For the pages of WWF Magazine in 1985, Jesse the Body Ventura, ladies and gentlemen, in transition, and we certainly see that in the best of the WWF Volume 6 as he sits there and takes questions from the audience, Vince McMahon playing Phil Donahue. I was in Mexico off the grid. I went back. I was in Mexico off the grid. I went back. I was in Mexico off the grid. I went back. I was in Mexico off the grid. I went back. I was in Mexico off the grid. What's going on here? It's fake. That's exactly what I was just about to say. Save save me so much effort. I really appreciate it. Why'd you just do it? I would have started a senatorial investigation over it. Yeah, what if you weren't a senator, Jess? Like, that's very presumptuous. I would have. Doesn't matter. I could get that done. As governor of Minnesota, I could have gotten that done. Why don't you? Just, I, I would like for you to just freestyle a bit, uh, a little bit more on the on, on the ones and twos. Go ahead. The what? On the on the on the buttons. Oh, just, on the board. Just have All some right. fun here. All right, you got it. I went back. I was in Mexico off the grid. I went back. I was in Mexico off the grid. As the nineteen 1960- six. I would have started a senatorial investigation over it. I would have started a senatorial <laughs> investigation over it. <laughs> Drugs. I was in Mexico off the grid. I went back. I was in Mexico off the grid. What's going on here? I was in Mexico off the grid. What's going on here? I was in Mexico off the grid. I went back. You're in danger. I was in Mexico <laughs> off the grid. Do it live! The whole thing's the big phony baloney. I went back. I think, it, I think it's the Coliseum Clutch. <laughs> Bring the fucking ruckus to that ass. You never we know. will kill you without a trial. <laughs> That's what's so galling to me. Like that cup of golf sandwich. We will kill you without a trial. I would have started a senatorial investigation over it. Yeah, right. You're getting that ass, Larry. Organized dishonesty. (laughs) Whoever whoever unleashed you on that fucking thing. No, No consideration whatsoever for me. And what it puts me through. (laughs) and how badly it makes my eyes sting that's right off come the glasses that's right and here comes the wipe (laughs) i can't fucking deal with it i can't deal when he says 
without a trial. Does <laughs> this guy talk about anything besides international war law? Like, <laughs> Hey, you know what? That's what I know about things, you know? We're talking about big, big, big government. <laughs> Can we talk about something else for one? Can we talk, I don't know. Can we talk about um, real estate futures? I don't know. <laughs> Credit default swaps. Can we talk about something else, Jess? Yeah, I don't know much about that. Fucking I International War Mexico. Tribunal. Off the grid. Mama. All right. Well, it's clear that we have a lot to thank Jesse the Body Ventura for, particularly in the Coliseum Collection. And I'm about to add a really, really big feather in that cap for Jesse Boss. All right. Because in recent weeks on the Coliseum Collection, we found ourselves speculating at great length and inquiring at great length about just how wrestlers were compensated. Yes. Or their appearances on WWF home video cassettes. It didn't strike us as a very germane question at the very outset of the Coliseum Collection, but as time goes, and as we begin reading articles and taking in information that indicates some of these guys were just like doubling, tripling their income expectations when toy money and video money and t-shirt money starts coming in to a degree they didn't even factor in when wholeheartedly agreeing to come into New York just for the money being offered to, to wrestle. And WWF is suddenly finding itself in the, the crosshairs of a merchandising bonanza and trying to figure out what a fair split is with the talent. Of course, not asking or consulting them or negotiating it with them, just telling them and right. handing them a check. It, that sort of came to a head for us last week on the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat Coliseum Collection episode because Ricky actually took Coliseum home video to court in 1994 over these questions. And what we got, as we detailed last week, um, and uh, hearty thanks to members of the solar system who expressed appreciation for the intense work that went into understanding uh, that case and um, what it told us about how merchandise was was shared with the boys back in, in 85 and 86. But at the end of the day, all we really ended up with was a glimpse at how Ricky Steamboat got paid, right, in particular. Yeah. We could extrapolate certain things about Ricky's experience to everybody else, but it didn't really give us a holistic sense of what these Coliseum home videos were making for the company and how much was being shared with talent on a percentage basis. That, of course, is one of Ricky and Body Steamboat's great gripes, is that these royalty checks would just arrive with very little in the way of backup in terms of how the number was arrived at, why the payments came when they did, how they squared with other things they were hearing about how much WWF was getting paid on licensing fees and, and royalty fees from uh, licensing partners to uh, market WWF wrestlers out there and who owned what trademark and all that. But we didn't get a holistic sense of what these Coliseum tapes meant to the company on a revenue yeah. basis. Right. But we do have Jesse Ventura to thank for those answers because we are prepared here on Best of WWF Volume 6, a tape which does feature Jesse Ventura in his element on the set of TNT, cracking wise, making an appearance on a tape that later he would go to the mat in court all the way to the appeals level over four years, fighting with WWF in court over what representations were made to him and his representation about what he's entitled to for these video cassettes, how those royalties were to be arrived at. That lawsuit does produce for us an exhibit that lists the entire schedule. Wow of Coliseum home video sales from the WWF and how much went to Jesse Ventura. Not just the numbers that went to Ventura, but how much each release made. 
it's going to be a little while, I think, before we revisit the Coliseum collection because, as mentioned already, we've got a lot in the pipeline for the yes. rest of 2022. We're heading into that most wonderful time of year. And if you know anything about TLF, we kick into a whole different gear to make sure we rise to that occasion. So I thought it fitting to answer a ton of questions that have been brought up to date on the Coliseum Collection, courtesy of some of the filings and some of the exhibits attached in the Jesse Ventura lawsuit that we've referenced several times against both the WWF and Coliseum Home Video. And what we have here, if you can pull it up, Oz, Coliseum Home Video Royalties, you see that? Yes. Presenting now a complete list of how much money Titan Sports made for these video cassettes. This uh, document dated January of 1993, so we have information up until then, but only as it concerns, of course, Jesse Ventura. You know, right. They're not going to include tapes that Jesse was not on uh, in, in this lawsuit. But here's the download for us before we turn to uh, the deep dive and some odds and ends uh, here on the Best of the WWF Volume 6. We see at the very top, WrestleMania 1. This was released, of course, on Coliseum Home Video as they would release the pay-per-views and the mega events, not as part of the the themed three-tape series, but sort of in between tapes as WrestleMania 1 and Wrestling Classic, Wrestling WrestleMania 2 all occurred. <clears throat> WrestleMania 1 did $625,000 in sales for Titan, so over half a wow. million dollars. Ventura got .0038 of that, resulting in a royalty, according to this document, of $2,377. And you'll see there off to the right-hand margin, boss, Hulk, Marvel, Mr. T, Lopper, listed. And, you know, looking at that right now, that makes me wonder, makes me realize maybe there is a reason why Hogan's not on more tapes. Yes. Because that way they don't have to pay Marvel money. I forget about that. They get to keep more of it. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful thought there. So, yeah, we'll just spitball. We'll just freestyle it in terms of what, what hits us here as we read this. Bloopers, bleeps, and body slams. This is, of course, the very first Coliseum home video release that launched the Coliseum collection here on that cast. Why are they missing two tapes right from the get-go? Don't know. Probably because Jesse appears nowhere in them. That would be my guess. Um, So those those wrestlers, we talked, one thing we did learn from the Ricky Steamboat lawsuit was that featured performer did entitle you to royalties. If you weren't considered a featured wrestler on the tape, no one got any royalties, which is... All the best ofs, you know, you can't say one guy's featured. It's not on him right, exclusively. Right. But we called out how Ricky, through the course of his, the rest of his years in WWF, even after he left, would get paid more for appearing in his, you know, featured Ricky the Dragon Steamboat video cassette. So, yeah. When they spotlight you that way, not only do you get that, that you know, extra marketing exposure, you also get paid more because, you know, there's no disputing that you deserve royalties on a, on a tape that's exclusively about you. That would continue for some time. Uh, on Coliseum Home Video. So, bloopers, bleeps, and body slams compared to WrestleMania, which again did $625,000 in 1985 money, did $163,253 in sales. So for Jesse, that meant $2,954 for that tape because he was making 0.0181% wow. on that video cassette. So that's more than the 0.0038 he got for WrestleMania 1. So he gets more uh, royalties on a tape that sold... So much less. Six hundred twenty-five thousand for WrestleMania. One hundred sixty-three thousand for bloopers, bleeps, and body slams. I'm, I, I wonder how the fuck they. I mean, if you look here at the most of them, sorry to jump ahead of you here. But yeah, sure. You look at most of them, and 
he does get that seems to be the common the most common percentage yes. is 0.0181 but then you've got other ones and it seems like as i'm going down here ones where he is probably only on commentary uh, and not seen i see a lot of the pay-per-views have got less you know less um uh, uh, percentage for him. <clears throat> yeah. Like you said, WrestleMania 38, and then, uh, let me see, WrestleMania 2.0016. Bizarre, huh? Yeah. And, and, you know, seemingly arbitrary, really. Uh, but you'll see there in the number of talent on the tape, there's there's four for WrestleMania 1 they considered featured, Hulk, Marvel, Mr. T. Lopper, uh, one, and there are seven on Amazing Managers. All these people, wow. they feel like they got to pay out. Lou, Lopper, uh, Fuji, Heenan, Valiant, Blassie, Hart. I mean, he still makes out pretty fucking well. Yeah. On that one, considering, especially considering the, uh, how much that one made. That one, that one fucking tanked. But these, uh, again, these Compare, records. And comparatively so. Comparatively so, sure. These records stretch all the way to 1991, and uh, I assume these are inflation adjusted figures and uh the only thing that eclipses wrestlemania one is wrestlemania three on coliseum home video six hundred forty nine thousand two fifty nine yeah. in sales which for jesse only equaled a uh, seven hundred and seventy nine dollar wow. royalty i mean he had significantly less to percentage wise yep and all it wow. says here is hulk and marvel getting uh the featured spot on those tapes not andre jesus uh, Andre, who did get the featured spot for his own um, release, but you can see kind of like a kind of a flattening out. I mean, of, of revenue. The best of WWF Volume Two does one hundred and sixty-two thousand dollars. Yeah. Here we are, best of six doing uh, one hundred and eight. Uh, best of seven doing ninety-two. So as the years go, seventy-three. Yeah, weirdly, weirdly, Hulkamania Two, just before WrestleMania Three. He gets his biggest payday to date. Well, no, his biggest payday is unusual matches. But Hulkamania 2 gives him, like, it's just weird, man. Unusual matches is the one he does the whole commentary for, he right? He hosts, does the whole wraparound. Yeah, he host that one. I wonder if he hosts Hulkamania 2. Yeah, well, we haven't gotten there yet on why. the Coliseum collection, yeah. but when we do, we'll pay particular note, I think, for that. But yeah, Bruno Sammartino, he got paid 41000 on that tape. That's the lowest I see here uh, in those early years. What's the lowest payout he got? Well, only got four grand on the Hart Foundation tape, four grand on the Intercontinental title tape. It's all over the place. Uh, the, he, no, he doesn't get those. No, I'm no, sorry. That's, four, that's what Titan gets. He got 750 That's nothing, man. Well, those are just paltry sales. What are they talking about? This column is called U.S. Combined Royalties Adjusted, 86 to 91. Um, and that's that's Coliseum. That, that must be what they get after Coliseum collects their their haul. Or is or is this what everybody got? Is that the amount of money that oh was that was paid out to all talent as opposed to the amount of money? Those are Titan royalties. Mm, very good point. Because I, I can't. Right. I mean, I was I was thinking these numbers seem kind of low. They're pretty low. Yeah. I was like, even WrestleMania six twenty five. Like that seems kind of low for like. People buying this shit at these at these astronomical prices of fucking forty to sixty dollars. That seems that seems kind of crazy. Yep. Now I'm with you. Yep. 
you, you got it. This is the amount of royalties they paid out at all. That's got to be it. Biggest, that smallest, fastest, strangest, zero dollars for some reason. Um, well, he must not be on it. Yeah, probably nobody on it. But why even it. list it? Why list it if he's not on it? I don't know. There probably was like a legal requirement that they have to do every single tape. That, that he, But they don't. Yeah. They don't do Hulkamania 1. They don't do Best of the WWE Volume 1. No, I don't there see it. There are tapes that are missing. So it seems weird. Yeah, yeah, because it does seem to be, it is chronologically ordered. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. This seems to be combined royalties that paid out to yeah. anybody. Um, not not the amount they put in their pocket. That's probably a higher figure that Titan got on sales because yeah. they were selling a lot of these videotapes. A lot. But here we yeah. are in best of six hundred eight thousand. And then after that it would dip below six figures and not really come back for the best ofs. I see seventy five for best of ten. Just weird how he um best of thirteen get went back up to hundred seven thousand. Just weird that he uh I mean there's still like he's making a lot on Random fucking tapes. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Like, like it is hard, like, because, I mean, let me see here. So, best volume six. I mean, I guess it kind of matches out, given that they're, the numbers are completely, he gets the same percentage as he does best volume two. That makes sixty thousand more dollars. He made almost three grand. Best volume six, he makes two grand. Seems like a weird, like I guess you know, given how some of them he he fucking just falls off the radar with what he makes. Like the TNT show, he makes eight hundred and fifteen dollars. Right. Same percentage. Why is that so different? from I mean like that's a drastic difference from the other ones like it's just weird I don't I don't get it yeah it's a hard it's it's a hard exhibit to make full heads or tails out of it it really is it does tell us though what Jesse got paid on each tape yeah. it doesn't explain on, really why curious. but but here are the uh, the figures and 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 something of a glimpse I mean I'm sure the higher royalties they paid out the higher sales they did on the tape so it, it is pretty much a guide to what the highest selling uh, Coliseum Home videos were of all time. And WrestleMania 3 is tops. WrestleMania 1 is uh, second. WrestleMania 2 appears to be third. So WrestleMania yeah, I mean, Home like video. That is, that is an exact. I mean, these are these are precise. I mean, the math is there. I can't deny it. I'm I'm doing it right now. I did, I'm doing some of the math here. Oh, as far as the royalty percentage of that yeah. overall? I mean, yeah. That's, that, is, that is accurate. Just weird. Like, I, I'm surprised that it's, I don't know. I don't know why it seems weird to me, but it does. Fascinating stuff. WrestleManias yeah. doing. The WrestleManias were a huge hit on home video. What? A oh difference. yeah. Oh, that's what they want. No one really cares. I mean, they, not that they don't care. Obviously, they do care. But like, those are the those are the ones, man. That's what everyone wants. WrestleMania. October ninety one. Tough guys is the last one listed. Twenty thousand dollars in royalties paid out compared to six hundred fifty thousand for WrestleMania oh my one. God. So they list a total of a. Uh, $12 million, $12.1 million paid out in royalties to talent from 1986 to 1991 on Coliseum home video releases. And of that, uh, Jesse Ventura got himself $142,947. Yeah. So there you go. Yep. We have clarity, boss. We have or something like clarity. I, I don't know if you want to call it clarity, but yes. We have a window in. And then this is interesting. If you toggle down uh, to the next page, 
you'll see a different exhibit listed Coliseum Video Royalties um, with all the releases. Um, no, but not all of them, actually. They don't have Best of One again. This must be another collection of things he's gotten. And that really weird. They have combined royalties paid to Titan, and these figures differ slightly yeah. from the first exhibit. I don't know why. Um, and then it says, um, well, maybe because it was issued a few months later. But um, it says, there, there's a column called Titan Policy. There's a column called After Hold a Policy. Hold on, because I'll tell you, I'll tell you, well, no. I, well, I think I know why. I think I know why. These are, it's U.S., Canada, and foreign. Ah, and the first is? There. The first is just U.S. No, oh, it's it U.S., says Canada, U.S. Canada, and foreign. foreign too, yeah. But on the on the actual thing, it says U.S. dollars combined, ro- oh, no, combined royalties adjusted. Yeah, that's weird. No, that's the same fucking thing. That's very odd. What? Well, I know it's SAG and AFTRA are. Why don't you tell the people? Well, SAG and after, well, at the time, SAG and after were the two, were the two uh, uh, unions. Um, AFTRA was more television and announcers and radios and radio announcers and stuff like that. And then SAG act is actors and whatnot. But now they're combined the two unions. So I can see why the AFTRA policy is making more generally speaking than the SAG one because SAG would. What does that tell us? That tells us people on the tape are represented by SAG and AFTRA? I mean, there's that. that's it, man. There's got to be some kind of... I'm surprised to see that. Probably, ja- probably Jesse, right? Because he'd already done... No. Not 85, no. He didn't make... He didn't... Predator didn't come out till 87. Who the hell on these tapes are represented by SAG and AFTRA? Hogan. 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 Hogan's been in movies. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, Hogan was in... Rocky before and but do you, but so that means he was in the those unions and you had to pay them whatever you paid him. He wouldn't. Well, yeah. there's also Titan policy. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I mean, is it insurance policy? What? Well, this one goes through '92 as well for what it's worth. So, like when. So with the unions, the company is generally required. Like if you're if you're on a movie, the company has to put in some money towards health benefits and stuff like that. I wonder if that's got something to do with it. I see. But why would that matter here? Like why would you, that matter? When you get paid residuals. Does any of it go to the union? Oh yeah, totally. And then they take what they what they are entitled to and then send you the rest? Yeah. All right, yeah, so that's what this is then. This is yeah, them right. sending... I bet Titan policy is what you're owed... Um, what you're owed per Titan's percentage. Yeah. This is probably all Jesse. It's all what Jesse got from Titan for his point whatever. Yeah, but... This is what he got from AFTRA after they took their piece. But they, he wouldn't be in the union at this. Maybe he'd be in AFTRA, but... He wouldn't be on in SAG unless unless he was. Unless this is he, definitely Jesse. I mean, there's no one else they would show. This isn't like comprehensive. This is just Jesse's money. Yeah. So I guess he wasn't SAG. I mean, how far back? When, when was his first screen credit? Do we remember? I'll take a look because I don't, but I don't think it was. I thought it was Predator. I thought his first movie was Predator. That would have been 87. Seven, right. I mean, 86, he was filming, so, you know. 
I wonder if this is sales of tapes from the from eighty five after he joined SAG. You know, like the back order catalog. Possibly, that's possible. I mean, four hundred fourteen dollars in the SAG policy is not that much money. But there also would have been well, no, and we're saying it's probably just for for him. That's very weird. Let me see here. Um, total of twelve million. It's all wrestling. Mountain, the hard, unless unless he had to join the union for the 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 hard times video. The hard times video. What's that? Yeah, the or the uh, the mountain video that we were that we were talking about. Mountain video. Oh, the thing you were just reading. The band. Yeah, the band Mountain. Interesting. Maybe that's that it. Could have, that could be it because he did that in '85. That could be it. A lot to chew on. Something tells me we'll be gleaning. We'll That's be the only more non-wrestling thing that he did before '87. Did an episode of Small Wonder, then Predator, Running Man, and then more wrestling. Very interesting. So there's at least a glimpse as to how uh, folks were paid. Jesse was paid, you know, point. Zero zero one eight one or point zero zero three eight of uh, what Titan took in in the royalty pool for their tapes. So you can kind of use that, I'm sure, as some yeah. of a guy. But it's so so arbitrary. Like it just why is it point zero zero seven zero one month and point zero zero six one right. next? How could that possibly two point two two seven? Like why? I mean, I I it just what's weird is when it changes for. So again, looking at his things like. The 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 pay per views I get, but why is why is greatest matches? Well, greatest matches wasn't a Coliseum video. Greatest matches is a different kind of video. Highlights of WrestleMania is not a Coliseum video either. Huh. But he but why does he get point oh thirty eight? Why does he get point oh three eight percent on WrestleMania one? None of his other um, pay-per-view appearances are that high. WrestleMania 2.016, WrestleMania 3.012. It's very weird. Maybe this is the point of his whole lawsuit, is that these these numbers don't make any fucking sense. 0. 0.0028 for WrestleMania 4, so it goes up. Must be some calculation that they make of how often he's on the tape that accounts for that royalty rate. Point oh four one seven for the Duggan. I mean, he must maybe he hosts that one. But then, but why isn't it the same? Like, yeah, it's very weird. I mean, I don't unless he, but he didn't because it's not like he renegotiated. Well, yeah, like I don't know. It's not like he renegotiated per se because a lot of these do go back to the one oh point one eight one. Very weird. Very fucking weird. So there you have it. Uh, somewhat of a map of how to think about at least how the guys got paid for these Coliseum home videos. But Jesse, uh, the whole takeaway from his lawsuit is that, you know, they told him that he should only, that he, they only pay royalties on um, tapes where someone is featured. And the, in other tapes, there's no royalties at all. And what this document does is demonstrate that that's, that's not true. They're paying royalties on every single tape to someone or other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
As mentioned, there are a couple of tapes that seem to be missing from this list, Best of WWF Volume 1 being a key one. Uh, so maybe there was very, very early on um, yeah. a notion that we won't pay a cent out in royalties on tapes where we don't consider someone featured. But if that was the case in the earliest releases, that changes pretty quickly. According to this document, you can see when Jesse sees this, yeah, how that is very much at odds if he was told that he's not due any royalties and no one in the company is due any royalties on tapes where they're not featured. So there you have it. Jesse Ventura. And we have to issue, um, if we're going to talk about Jesse Ventura, we do have to issue a bit of a correction on um, yes. the discussion in one of our last episodes about the uh, former Navy SEAL who went around claiming, who wrote a book. Um, yeah, right. Chris Kyle. He wrote the American um, Sniper book. Um, and claimed all over the place, including an opening Anthony, that uh, he once knocked out Jesse Ventura in a Navy SEALs bar when Jesse was going on about how maybe you deserve to lose a few because we're killing innocent women and blah, blah, blah in Iraq. And um, what I didn't know at the time was that Jesse uh, said, fuck that. We're going to court. You can't say I did that. Not su- no such thing happened. And he got a $1.8 million verdict from this guy's family. He died. Wow. He got it from his widow and his family a state or whatever in 2014 uh, apparently the verdict was overturned on appeal so it's okay it's, it's kind of complicated but the point is jesse just didn't let that uh, allegation that he was knocked out stand that's a pro wrestler for you you're not gonna go around claiming knocked you knocked out. me out no way he knocked me out i'm a fucking man you know what i'm a navy seal no fucking asshole like this fucking guy is gonna claim that he knocked me out Je- that's the thing man jesse wins in court of course. Jesse does know how to win. He really does. I mean, I mean if anything, <laughs> I mean, I mean, if anything, the, the, the people probably don't want to hear him talk so much. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my God, shut up. <laughs> um, but he. Your uh, Honor, this is libel. Libel and slander. He never knocked me out. He knows that never happened. He knows it never happened. His widow knows it never happened. And I want their goddamn money. And your mom knows it never happened either. And you know what? Your Honor, I talked to your fucking mom. And she knows it it didn't happen. Your fucking mom. (laughs) In court. In court. So there's a lot uh, to say about that. You know what? Why don't you take a bite of these nuts? Right. Your Honor, you fucking ass. (laughs) So he got off on a weird start, needless to say. But he beat Vince in court. He beats this guy's family in court. He wins the governorship of Minnesota. In court. In court. No, they'd have to go to court on that one, I don't think. The point is, don't fuck with Jesse Ventura. And the Kyle family learned that as well. Um, he knows all the secrets, all right? He knows all the secrets. And so I felt obliged to communicate not just the fact that it resulted in a and a verdict against this guy for saying that about Jesse, but that, you know, there is some, there is some court paper on this boss, right? Oh yes, there is. Probably won't have any other occasion to communicate at least the flavor of it to the lapsed fan solar system. So I figured you could pull up, um, you know, that attached file there that you see. Oh, I have it. And uh, scan on down to page two. And why don't we at least get a sense of the case filed in the state of Minnesota County of Hennepin, Governor Jesse, Jesse Ventura, that's right. That is how his name reads yes. in legal papers. Yes. Governor yes. Jesse Ventura, a.k.a. James G. 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 Janos. Janos. An individual. It's so funny. He's not James Janos, a.k.a. Governor Jesse Ventura. 
Governor Jesse the Body Ventura, a.k.a. James G. Janos. His fake name, a.k.a. his real name, as opposed to his real name, a.k.a. AKA, AKA his fake his name. Fake name. <laughs> Versus Chris Kyle, an individual. Uh, let's read the complaint here for, for mm-hmm. the curious, now that we've mm-hmm. uh, tabled this matter. Plaintiff. Governor Jesse Ventura, a.k.a. James G. Janos, for his claims against the defendant, Chris Kyle, states and alleges that, one, plaintiff, Governor Jesse Ventura, a.k.a. James G. Janos, Governor Ventura, is an individual, citizen, and resident of the state of Minnesota. Defendant, Chris Kyle, Kyle, is, on information and belief, an individual, citizen, and resident of the state of Texas. Jurisdiction and Venue this court has personal jurisdiction over the non-resident defendant pursuant to Minnesota State 543.19 and the due process clause of the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution because Kyle has committed acts outside of the state of Minnesota intended to cause and causing injury in this state, including but not limited to the intentional publication of defamatory statements of and concerning Minnesota resident Governor Ventura via television and radio programs transmitted by air, cable, and or satellite in the state and the sale of books in this state. Four, venue is proper in this in this district pursuant to Minnesota State that you want you know. That's fine. Because when we read the facts, I, I think yeah. it I think it only appropriate that you read them in the voice of oh, Jesse. Yeah. Governor Ventura is the former governor of the state of Minnesota, having served in that capacity from nineteen ninety nine through two thousand two. The former mayor of Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, having ser- served in that capacity from 1990 through 1993, and is old, also a veteran of the United States Navy, having served his country as a member of the Navy's Special Forces Underwater Demolition slash SEAL teams. <laughs> I'm a Navy SEAL. Yeah, we got that. I'm a Navy we got that SEAL. from what you said, Jess. Okay. I'm like an I'm like an animal. A Navy SEAL. Jesse the Animal Ventura. <laughs> Instead of George the Animal Steel, Jesse the Animal SEAL. <laughs> <laughs> Through and as a result of his accomplishments in a career that has spanned more than four decades, Governor Ventura has become well known to the public throughout the United States as a professional wrestler, entertainer, actor, speaker, author, and politician, has created for himself a unique public personality and image, and his professional names, Jesse Ventura and Jesse the Body Ventura, as well as his image, voice, photograph, likeness, and public persona, have... (laughs) The way you pronounce photograph got me. I had high hopes for that one, and you delivered. I've become commercially valuable commodities. Governor Ventura's current occupation is that of television (laughs) performer and host for a program called Conspiracy Theory, which airs on the True TV Network. I love that a show called Conspiracy Theory airs on the True TV Network. Well, did you know that the show called True TV airs on the Conspiracy Theory Network? (laughs) I found very strange. Very odd. And he is a best-selling author who continues to write books. I continue to (laughs) best-sell. Well, Dave Meltzer will be the judge of that. (laughs) 
Governor Ventura also remains an active political commentator and has not definitely ruled out. <laughs> he put this in his lawsuit. Go ahead, read it. And has not definitely ruled out another run for political office. I may run. Oh. You know, right now I just don't want to. Put that in the lawsuit like it has anything it to do with happen. anything. Hey, it does because you know what? He defamed me. Defamation of my character. Fortunately, he didn't defame James Janos. He only defamed Jesse Ventura. (laughs) Governor Ventura comes from a military family. His father served the United States military during World War II and earned six bronze battle stars. His mother served in the United States military during World War II as a nurse stationed in North Africa. And his brother served in the United States military as a Navy SEAL during the Vietnam War. Governor Ventura is very proud of his and his family's military service, and he has nothing but the highest regard for the veterans of and those currently serving in the United States military. But the thing is, our government lied to us. No, it doesn't say what that. What do you think is about it? My government lied to me. So how did it not lie to you? Right. Governor Ventura's service in the Naval Special Forces underwater demolition slash SEAL teams was a defining experience in his life. <laughs> Why does this need to be in the lawsuit? Well, and he has always believed that those with whom he served, as well as those who preceded and followed him, deserved his and the nation's utmost respect and deepest gratitude. <laughs> I deserve your gratitude. Yeah, that's kind of what he's saying. Right. As a member of the military, Governor Ventura took an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and to bear true faith and allegiance to the same. As governor of the state of Minnesota, Governor Ventura took an oath to support the Constitution of the United States and of this state and to discharge faithfully the duties of his office to the best of his judgment and ability. And he was the chief commander-in-chief of the military and naval forces vested with the power to call them out to execute the laws, suppress insurrection, and repel invasion. <laughs> okay, of the Jeff. Minnesota Constitution. <laughs> Governor Ventura has always taken his oaths. Yes to defend and protect the Constitution of the United States from all enemies very seriously. And he has always considered it a great honor to have had the privilege of serving his country, first in the military and second as the governor of Minnesota. Fifteen. Governor Ventura has, over a period of many years, maintained close friendships with his former colleagues in the Navy Special Forces underwater demolition slash SEAL teams, and he has, on several occasions since his own discharge from the military, attended and spoken at Navy SEAL graduation and other ceremonies where he has always been treated with dignity and respect. Although Governor Ventura has liberally exercised (laughs) his First Amendment right to criticize government policy and has been publicly opposed to the war in Iraq, he has always supported America's troops and has never and would never wish them any harm. (laughs) 
Kyle is the author of American Sniper, the autobiography of the most lethal sniper in U.S. military history, published in January 2012 by William Morrow, an imprint of HarperCollins Publishers, and sold nationally, including at Barnes & Noble and other booksellers in the state of Minnesota. Borders, as well, and also other (laughs) mom-and-pop chains of book salesmanship. <laughs> Book in salesmanship. An American, <laughs> yes. American sniper, Kyle Roden published a subchapter ca- captioned "Punching Out Scruff Face," which a, which at pages three ten through three twelve recounts an alleged two thousand six incident that occurred at a public bar and restaurant in Coronado, California, <laughs> and which reads in its entirety as follows. After the funeral, we went to a local bar (laughs) for the wake proper. (laughs) As always, there were a bunch of different things going on at our favorite night spot, including a small party for some older SEALs and UDT members who were celebrating the anniversary of their graduation. Among them was a celebrity I'll call Scruff Face. Scruff served in the military. Most people seem to believe he was a SEAL. Oh, shit. As far as, here we go. As far as I know, he was in the service during the Vietnam conflict, but not actually in the war. Oh, man. Don't say is. that to Jesse. I was sitting there with Ryan and told him that Scruff was holding court with some of his buddies. I'd really like to meet him, Ryan said. Sure. I got up and went over to Scruff and introduced myself. Hey, Mr. Scruffface, I have a young seal over here who's just come back from Iraq. He's been injured, but he'd really like to meet you. Well, Scruff kind of blew us off. Still, Ryan really wanted to meet him, so I brought him over. Scruff acted like he couldn't be bothered. All right. Well, we went back. Oh, it says that. This is Kyle writing in his book, though. This yes, isn't just I went book. back. Yeah, that's right. We went back over to our side of the bar and had a few more drinks. In the meantime, Scruff started running his mouth about the war and everything and anything he could connect to it. President Bush was an asshole. You know, we were only over there because Bush wanted to blow, show up his father. We were doing the wrong thing, killing men and women and children and murdering and so on. Scruff said he hates America, and that's why he moved to Baja, California. 9-11 was a conspiracy. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. It says it right there. He didn't say that. That's it defamation. It, it's, <laughs> hey, you know what? I never said 9-11 was a I said 9-10 was a conspiracy. Right. The day before. Why well, does nobody conspiring. talk about that? Nobody talks about the day before 9-11. Everyone talks about 9-11 being in a post-9-11 society. And on and on some more. The guys were getting upset. Finally, I went over and tried to get him to cool it. You know, we're all in here mourning, I told him. Can you just cool it, keep it down? You deserve to lose a few, he told me. Then he bowed up as if to belt me. I was uncharacteristically level-headed at the moment. Look, I told him, why don't you we just step away from each other and go our own way? Scruff bowed up again. This time he swung. Being level-headed and calm can only last so long I laid him out. Tables flew, stuff happened. Scruff face ended up on the floor. I left quickly. I have no way of knowing for sure, but rumor has it he showed up at the at the BUDS graduation with a black eye. 
a true and correct copy of American Sniper, the autobiography of the most lethal sniper in U.S. military history, pages 310 to 312, is attached here to marked Exhibit A. The quoted passage from American Sniper attached here to his Exhibit A contains matters of description, facts, and circumstances sufficient for readers to infer that Kyle was referring to Governor Ventura, including the scruff face reference to his famous facial hair. Famous facial hair? I'm sitting here thinking, I guess. The mustache? Right. It's like, that's not... No, Makes sound I mean, like he's got this huge bushy beard. I, I guess he did at times, but did he? Not 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 in the time I'm thinking. In the time he's out there, you know what I mean on conspiracy theory and stuff. He's totally clean shaven. Well, no, but just, but he's talking about 2006. Yeah. Um, just Ventura 2006. Let's take a look here. He was governor. He just had a small mustache, right? Or, yeah, small mustache. Um. Well, all right. It looks like, oh, God. Yeah, it looks like in December of 2006, at least, there is, oh, my God. Oh, he had a lot of scruff? Oh, well, hold on. Yeah, please. I'm going to send you a picture of what he apparently was looking like in 2006. This is, this is quite enjoyable. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) <laughs> he does not what is, is he yoshi kwan <laughs> what an idiot uh i mean that look i guess that's what he was he looks like a fool on donnie deutsch's show i remember that show look at him that's from december 2006 and what does it say there frame. in the caption on the screen underneath him <laughs> i close it it says <laughs> I will move out of the country. <laughs> the new Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura, colon, I will move out of the country. You're damn right I'll move out of the country. These fucking people. You think you're Americans. You're just frauds is what you are. I don't need that. I don't need nobody. Um... His status as an older celebrity, former UDT SEAL who served during the Vietnam War, his winter home in Baja, California, in Mexico. Oh, shit. Mexico. In parentheses. I was in Mexico off the grid. How does this guy even know what's going on? I was in Mexico off the grid. That's his winter home. My winter home. Never heard that before. My, my summer home is in Tijuana. He only spends the winters off the grid. Rest of the time, but like when it's sunny down the lake in Minneapolis, Minnetonka, oh. whatever the fuck, he somehow manages to come back on the grid without any ill effect. No, in uh, in uh, in in the summertime, rest of the year, I live in Cozumel, <laughs> Mexico. That was good. Baja during the summer, Cozumel during the during the summer. His opposition to the war in Iraq, the 9-11 conspi- quote-unquote conspiracy, he put conspiracy about which in he has talked in his about complaint. and written, and is having been the speaker at BUDS graduation ceremonies. In television, radio, and print interviews intended to promote the sale of American Sniper, all of which were published nationally and in the state of Minnesota in January 2012, Kyle has confirmed that the quoted references in his book were intended to and do refer to Governor Ventura. 
on or about January 4, 2012, Kyle appeared on the Opie and Anthony radio show and participated in the following exchange with the show's hosts. Host. <laughs> uh, there's someone on the line saying that you had uh, you were in a bar fight with Jesse Ventura. Is that true? What? God. It's probably, is it? Yes. Oh, shit. Uh, let's get into this. Yeah, I'd like to. Can we talk about it? I was going to ask how you felt about it, actually. What happened in the bar? <laughs> yeah, what happened? You were in a bar and, oh, Jesus. We, uh, yeah, you know, we had just come back from our, uh, 06 deployment when we lost our guys. You know, we were having a wake for the guy who got the Medal of Honor, Mikey Mansour, and he, uh, he happened to be there. And he was coming in for a graduating, uh, BUD, BUD, BUDS class and, that he was going to speak to, and he was upset with the war. You know, he doesn't agree with it, which is fine. I, you don't have to agree with the war. I just got sent there. I don't have to agree with politics. I, just, I sent up to serve the country. The country tells me what to do. Uh huh. But he's making it known, you know, that that he did not agree with it. And I approached him and said, "Hey, you know, uh, yeah, I appreciate it, but but we're having a wake. You know, it was a seal bar there in town, and I said, you know, we're having a wake here. The family's here. I appreciate it if you just." kind of keep it down he told us that we were killing innocent people over there oh fuck you know men and women and children that were murderers and you know and i said you know what you know we we can all have our differences that's that's fine but please you know just don't upset the family yeah and then he said you know we we deserve to lose a few guys holy shit jesse said that yes what the fuck is wrong with him so by the way all, all you guys out there that attacked me because i fucking Attacked him. Good. I'm glad to hear that. He's a, he really is a douche. And what happened when he said that to you? I punched him. That's the host of Opie and Anthony calling him a douche because he once, right. uh, what's his name, um, Jim Norton, shouted down Jesse idiot. in the studio Jim and Jesse Norton. stormed off. Such a moron. In his big, um, heavy coat. Yeah. I punched him. Did you grab his ponytail? No, I punched him. You slugged him? Good. I punched him. I punched him. Good for you. Where did you punch him? Bravo. In the face. What happened? That's when you take. That's when you take a headshot. I mean, Jesse Ventura. He's a, he's an older guy. He's a big man. Now he's an older guy too. Yeah, he's an older guy. Of course, all the guys then started making fun of me. So you know, so what? Geriatric. Blah, 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 blah. Wait, when you hit him, did he hit you back or? No, no, no. He went down. Oh, like out? Like he was like I don't know. I don't think he was out. It definitely took him off balance. He went down and, but the ref wasn't looking. They never are. Did his walker fall with him? Yeah, I think he fell out of his wheelchair. Wow, wow, he, he went down. You hit a big dude. You know, he's, he's still just in the body. I mean, he's an older guy, but he's still a big, strong guy. Did he awkwardly get up and have to walk out of the place? I, I don't know. I took off running because the cops were already outside. And as soon as I hit him, I knew seal party, seal bar. Cops were watching. They saw the whole thing happen, so I took off running. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so Jesse Ventura said to a seal at a bar where there was a wake for a seal, you guys deserve to lose a few guys. Yeah. Yes, he did. A true and correct copy of a transcript of Kyle's January 4, 2012 interview on the Opie and Anthony show, radio show, as it later appeared on YouTube, is attached here to Mark Exhibit B. On or about January 5th, 2012, Kyle appeared on the O'Reilly Factor on Fox TV. Fuck it! Yeah. And participated in the following exchange with the show's host. A personal story segment tonight. Chief Chris Kyle, a Navy SEAL, officially. All right, you do, O'Reilly. Personal story segment tonight. 
Chief Chris Kyle, a Navy SEAL, is officially the most lethal sniper in U.S. military history. The chief has written a brand new book called American Sniper that chronicles his amazing story in Iraq. I spoke with him last night. So, Chief, I read your book. Very entertaining. I recommend it for the for my audience. I, I think he'll, they'll like it. First of all, you say you knocked Jesse Ventura to the floor with a punch. Now, you don't mention his name, but everybody knows who that is. Number one, that, that happened? You knocked him out? Uh, well, I, I knocked him down. Knocked him down. Why? Why, why would you punch Ventura? Well, it was 06. You know, it was the year we lost our first two SEALs in Iraq. We, we came home. We lost our last guy just before coming home. And, and we had the, the wake in a SEAL bar there in Coronado, and he, he was there. He was there for a speaking engagement at a bud ceremony, graduating class. Because he was a SEAL, right? Yeah, yes, sir. He was a Navy SEAL. So he was bad-mouthing the war, right? Bad-mouthing the war, bad-mouthing Bush. Bush. <laughs> President Bush. Uh, bad-mouthing America. Bad-mouthing Bush, bad-mouthing Luke. <laughs> and you took exception. I didn't find a problem with it. The family was there. I asked them to please tone it down that well, we did not want to upset the family members of Mikey Mansour. Who was killed? Yes, sir. And uh, you're in the Medal of Honor. Yeah. Uh, he, he jumped on a grenade and saved everybody else around. But I want to be clear. Ventura wasn't attacking him at all, verbally bashing him. He was just bashing the whole thing in general. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, until he said, we deserve to lose a few guys. He said, we deserve to, we, the United States. No, no. He said, you, y'all deserve to lose a few guys. Navy SEALs. Uh, I'm assuming he was saying that to me. Is he drunk? No, sir. No, I never saw him with a drink at hand at all. So w- once he said, you deserve to lose a few guys, you popped him. Yes, sir. Did he fight back? Uh, he went down. There were cops there. I took off running. You ran? Yes, sir. Did they arrest you? No, sir. I uh, I have a master chief uh, that always said, punch and run. A true and correct copy of transcript of Kyle's January 5th, 2012 interview on the O'Reilly Factor as it later appeared on Fox News video is attached here to marked Exhibit C. During the week of January 9, 2012, Kyle's appearance on the O'Reilly Factor was discussed on The Five, a Fox News commentary show, and the show's five hosts all agreed among themselves that Kyle was telling the truth about the comments he attributes to Governor Ventura and the incident during which he allegedly punched Governor Ventura. A true and correct copy of a transcript of the circa January 9, 2012, The Five broadcast, as it later appeared on YouTube, is attached here to marked Exhibit D. On or about January 10, 2012, Kyle appeared on the Open Anthony radio show for a second time and appeared in the following exchange with the show's hosts. You want to do them now? Sure thing. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. What exactly happened, Chris? If you could just refresh, because a lot of people might have not heard you on that moment. Just if you could give us a brief, just kind of sum the story up so people know what we're talking about. Uh, it was the wake of Mikey Mansour, and of course, all the families were there. He was there. Uh, he started getting loud and voicing his opinion about you know coming out against the war and the troops and everything. So uh, we asked him to keep it down, and he got uh, belligerent about it and finally said we deserve to lose a few. Now, Chris, is it possible that you and Jesse were arguing or you were debating, and he said something to the effect of, it's only natural you're going to lose a few? Are you 100? <laughs> they must have got a call from the lawyer. Wow. Are you 100% sure that he said it and with the intention that you heard it? Uh, no, I feel that. He said exactly what I thought he heard. You know, the, uh, exactly them other guys. He said exactly what I what I thought I heard. Them other guys that were standing right there. Oh, they heard it as well. The exact same way. Chris, there's no doubt in your mind you punched Jesse Ventura that day, right? Yes, sir, definitely. 
Oh, he's a true, he's a, yeah, a true and correct copy of a transcript of Kyle's January 10th, 2012 interview at the Open and Anthony Radio Show, as it later appeared on The Blaze, is attached here to marked exhibit E. Fox News, the O'Reilly Factor, and the Five and all are all, all broadcast via cable television throughout the United States, including Minnesota, on the Fox Television Network, and all and all have affiliated internet sites at which rebroadcasts and print transcripts and summaries can be viewed, including but not limited to foxnews.com and foxnewsinsider.com. The Fox Television Network and American Sniper's publisher Harper Collins are both owned by the same parent company, News Corporation, and it is in their and Kyle's joint economic interest to generate publicity for American Sniper. The Opie and Anthony radio show is broadcast via satellite radio throughout the United States, including Minnesota, on Sirius XM Radio. The television, radio, and print interviews in which Kyle published the defamatory statements transcribed above have been reported, republished, and reprinted, repeated, and or rebroadcast worldwide, including Minnesota, via television, internet, and print publications, and continue to be republished, repeated, and rebroadcast, and repermitted, yeah. and repossessed, and re <laughs> Back on the rails. As of January 23rd, 2012, a Google Internet search using the term Chris Kyle Ventura produced more than 5,300,000 results, including news articles, videos, and blogs that repeat the defamatory statements and accusations and otherwise report and comment on them. Kyle knew at the time he wrote American Sniper and at the time he gave television, radio, and print interviews to promote his book that his alleged 2006 altercation with Governor Ventura had never occurred. Had never occurred. That's what he's holding here. Had never occurred. That Governor Ventura had not made any of the statements attributed to him and that the entire story about a confrontation with and physical assault and battery of Governor Ventura was false and defamatory. Among other things, Governor Ventura never said he hates America. Navy SEALs deserve to lose a few. Navy SEALs were killing innocent people. And Navy SEALs were murderers. Navy SEALs deserve to lose a few guys. Uh, or y'all Navy SEALs does, deserve to lose a few guys. Now, when you say and, Navy SEALs, he's putting it in a lot of brackets. So, yes. like, he's saying he, he's inserting Navy SEALs as what was intended when Chris Kyle said yep. you uh, were killing innocent people, you. And I wonder if by inserting Navy SEALs, he's saying, I didn't say Navy SEALs did this. But, I, but I'm right. also not saying somebody else did this maybe i was intending something else but he's saying i'm not saying anything at all right well he that's what he says he said this never happened this never occurred i don't know i don't know who this clown is you know i've seen a lot of fucking idiots around my on my day judge and this guy's a big fucking moron i mean uh you know rest in peace uh god rest his soul but if he just made this fucking story up like what what's wrong with you yeah i know I know. Just I mean, made it up is, whole cloth. It's it's pretty it's pretty um hard to believe. What? Which hard part? to believe that he totally made it up. Like just I I agree. I mean like cuz to 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 make it up you have to I mean that's a ballsy move to then to accuse to accuse somebody of a 
of you know a public figure of that and someone of 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 Jesse's stature in terms of having been a politician you know if you don't you better you don't do that unless you fucking have some kind of evidence but yeah you know if he lost he didn't have any fucking evidence yeah yeah apparently he didn't nor has Governor Ventura ever expressed or implied in Kyle's presence or anywhere else that he wished any harm to come to any American troops or to Navy SEALs in particular. And Kyle never physically assaulted, battered, or punched Governor Ventura. Knowing that the alleged statements he attributes to Governor Ventura were never made and that the alleged assault and battery incident involving Governor Ventura had never occurred for the purpose of gaining notoriety and generating publicity for his American Sniper book and thereby furthering his own economic gain and or for other reasons presently unknown, Kyle knowingly, intentionally, and maliciously published the false and defamatory statements of and concerning Governor Ventura as set forth above. By falsely 33 fucking, I mean. Points of fact. This is nuts. 33, by falsely claiming that Governor Ventura and United States Navy SEALs deserve to die, Kyle intended to inflict a vicious, deliberate, and calculated assault on Governor Ventura's character honor and reputation and to turn the seal and military community and americans in general against governor ventura and to cause them to have contempt scorn disgust and hatred for him and to behold him in the lowest possible regard as a third party candidate i have that part third party doesn't say that doesn't say third party candidate oh my god it just keeps going the last one no there's 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 I know, but that's the last one uh, you have to read. Oh, okay. Um, By his own admission, Kyle has gained more notoriety and publicity for the false, defamatory, and malicious statements he has made about Governor Ventura than he has for all the military exploits he writes about in American Sniper. There you go. So that's that's the claim that he just made all that up. Never happened. Never happened. Count one, defamation, libel, and slander. Count two, misappropriation of name and likeness, which apparently is a right of privacy violation. Unjust enrichment by, you know, gaining book sales off this publicity. And so he asked for a judgment, um, in excess of 50 grand uh, against Chris Kyle on count one, 50 grand on count two, 50, no, nothing here on count three. Yeah. uh, Specified attorney's costs and everything else filed in 2012 by his attorney. So that's the case. That's the, um, that's the closing of the loop that was in order when we cited this particular moment in Jesse Ventura's life on a recent episode. So thanks to members of the solar system who called to our attention, the fact that there was much more to this story uh, in terms Jesus. of uh, the Seriously. truthfulness. But yeah, uh, Chris Kyle ends up dying. I don't know what happened. I don't know how he, how he died, but um uh, so Jesse ended up in court with his widow, and then it was a bad look. And after it was a after this verdict was appealed and overturned on appeal, they reached some kind of a settlement so that Jesse didn't seek a second trial, which he was entitled to do as a result of the uh, the appeal overturning the initial uh, judgment from the jury. So both sides can kind of claim that you know someone found some jury some court found in their favor, and we go on. Who knows? Uh, what uh, he was murdered. 
He was murdered. He was murdered. Yeah, yeah. He was he's an interesting dude. Um yeah, Chris Kyle from Minnesota walking or walking down range his and his friend Chad Littlefield walking down range to set up targets when Eddie Ray Ruth opened fire and hit both of them. This was a twenty five year old Marine who had experienced post traumatic stress disorder. The case attracted national attention due to Kyle's famous author of American Sniper. Um, wow. Yeah, so he was killed. Quite a story. Yep. And a couple of other points of uh, clarification, thanks to the solar system from our last episode on the Coliseum Collection on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, James Irwin pointed out on Patreon, when we were trying to figure out the genesis of the dragon character and we kept talking about Bruce Lee over and over again. Yeah. It's also important to remember that Karate Kid had just come out. Yep, very true. It's actually Neil writing to us. Because it's Vince and he always has at least 15 years behind the cult, he is always at least 15 years behind the culture, I'm sure he regarded Steamboat as Bruce Lee. But as luck would have it, the Karate Kid was one of the biggest movies of 1984. So Steamboat, I think, rode that pop culture wave with fans when he entered the WWF in 85. Was the right gimmick at the right time. So yeah, probably some Karate Kid influence here for sure. I did think of Mr. Miyagi's sort of a compound when they they were showing the sweeping views of the the Japanese peace gardens in Philly that they shot those yeah. vignettes at for Steamboat. So that, that's important. Wrestling has always uh, tried to key off hit movies with characters of course. That are reminiscent of, of course. it. But James wrote to us, in addition to the Tai Chi stuff, I don't think it can be stressed enough that Bruce Lee was from Hong Kong and not Japan. Yeah, very true. I know he wasn't involved, but I still picture someone telling Bruce Pritchard this and him just shrugging his shoulders. And uh, Jeff Town wrote to us on Patreon, those arm drags have a lot in common with that cast, always going deep. We also had a question well, about... Well, um, the, what's the difference between Japan and China? What's the difference? Yeah, what's the difference? I don't uh, see, and that's... I forgot that. I forgot. I, I assumed that Bruce Lee was from mainland China. Yeah. yeah. But now he's from Hong Kong. Um, what's, uh, Canton. What? Brother. Can't, Canton what? Can't what? What? Who? Uh, I'm just here. Susan Anton, have you seen? Oh my God, what a clip of uh, on a Royal Rumble '95 pre-show. It's Brett and Diesel face to face and a split screen, and yes. they're talking. To, Brett's talking about how he's been dreaming about these long legs that he can wrap up in the sharpshooter. And Nash, with his smirk on his face, goes, "We talking about Susan Anton or what?" <laughs> and Brett, Brett cracks. He just laughs, and the promo comes to an abrupt end because he pops Brett, and he's got this, yeah, Nash. Huge shit-eating grin on his face, having <laughs> damn right gotten to Brett on a live interview segment. I think it's the pre-show for 95 Rumble where they wrestle, right? They do wrestle 95 Rumble. Yep. Tremendous. Uh, so there's that. Um, we also wondered last week why in a segment on TNT where Don Morocco was shown on the Ricky Steamboat tape talking about Steamboat in a Detroit Tigers hat, what the deal is with that is because Magnum P.I., a hit yeah. television show at the time, would have always worn a Detroit Tigers hat. With the Hawaiian tie-in from that, that, that would explain why Morocco was walking around wearing the hat. Sure. And Liam wants us to think of something and not lose sight of something that's very important as we go through the Coliseum collection. He writes, there is a video store near me. Mm. I know, I'm spoiled. It's called Video Exclusive Redford, Michigan, across the street from the sex toy store that shares a parking lot with Red Lobster. Absolutely. It's exactly like Jack and JP always wax poetic about. The worn-out carpeting. The subtle chatter of a random movie playing on a series of shitty tube TVs hung from the ceiling. The sun-bleached covers. I mean, it's still selling, doing VHS tapes on a tube TV? That's what he's saying. That's crazy. 
It's perfect, he writes. I go every few days. Last month, I stumbled upon an unheralded family-style action-adventure comedy with a sci-fi twist to it from 1992 called Stay Tuned. Oh, yes. Coming soon under the cinema. What? Oh, yeah. It stars John Rutter as a couch potato who gets sucked into a satanic TV, along with his wife after making a Faustian bargain with Jeffrey Jones. It features a prominent cameo from Captain Louis Albania. Yep. yep. Plays a ring announcer during a bizarre wrestling-based scene. Yeah, they have a whole wrestling scene in there. I mean, it qualifies on a lot of levels. I plan on getting myself Cinemat for my birthday. Hopefully, the chairman have it on their list, if they haven't it's already covered list. it. It's on the list, pal. Underrated little movie from the guy that made Running Scared 1986 in Time Cop. I remember watching this when I was a kid, probably around the same... Yeah, I guess when I was a fan, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, John Ritter, Pan Dauber, all fucking people. You know Pan Dauber? No. She was on Mork and Mindy. She was Mindy on Mork and Mindy. Okay. I mean, like, so she's, I mean, that was her high point, Mork and Mindy. And then Jeffrey Jones, who, uh, you know, Je- Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. Jeffrey Jones has got some, some bad history. Looking forward to learning more about that. And there's so much available under the Cinemat right now at patreon.com slash the lapsed fan. The executive producer tier entitles you to it is, of course, moat members. The the highest tier of them all also get access to the show. And we're in full swing for scary movie season. I think we ought to remind folks, boss, what's what's happened and what's about to happen. Absolutely. We we have done, I mean, I think the scariest movie of them all, Jeff Town, was our opener for this uh, year's season. Oh, yeah. Uh, We did River of Darkness. With Kurt Angle, TNA Kurt Angle and uh, uh, Eric, uh, no, uh, Kevin Nash and Sid and Glacier. And then we just recently did Planet Terror of the, the Grindhouse double feature. And um, uh, uh, the next one, the next one, the next one is called Monster Brawl. Yes, it is. Have you heard of this one? No, sir. Uh, it features Kevin Nash. <laughs> Kevin Nash, uh, Kurgan, Jimmy Hart, and a couple other um, kind of no-name types in a movie where monsters have wrestling matches oh my god a motley crew indeed indeed like the mummy versus frankenstein and shit like that very excited about scary movie season under the cinemat we've tackled so many of the classics now it's time to dig a little deeper in the bin i know we're this yeah (laughs) we we got some we got some 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 doozies here no better way to be seasonally in sync than with us under the cinemat as we march through scary movie season, I'm sure holiday movie seasons around the corner after that. Absolutely, we got a whole we got we got a whole list ready for that one as well. So we've got your Friday night movie nights covered as well here. Again, nothing delights us more than hearing from members of the solar system that have made a little weekend tradition. I love it out of taking in the episode and then watching the movie along with us as we provide you know a flowing mystery science theater style commentary of the, of, of the movie. Yeah. So continue to have a ton of fun over under the cinemat. And of course, the moat tier continues uh, to sparkle and deliver. And uh, that's where you get access to WrestleMania as the boss man's mom, Mama Saro, takes in wrestling matches one at a time. 
and lends the voice that we've just been chasing since we started the show. I mean, it seriously is it. A parent in the room with you while you're on the living room carpet, watching wrestling, making comments, making observations. And uh, by this by this point, uh, you know everyone would have uh, those on the mom uh, on the the moat tier would have just listened to uh, Randy Savage, Jake Roberts two from Saturday Night's Main Event. Wow, can't wait to see her react to that. Just yeah, so much more hilarious than you expect. The thing is, and then starting the week after that is where it gets to be a lot of fun because it's going to be more. Uh, uh, Halloween horror themed matches uh, for October, the month of October. Yeah, yes, yeah, so you really Halloween. don't want to miss it. Folks making that part of their weekly routine as well, Monday mornings with Mama Sorrow. As she takes in a new match for each and every one of you and uh, lends voice, keeps us in check in terms of how foolish it is that we follow pro wrestling and for sure what actual adults would say if they were sitting in the room with us watching it. She's inquisitive, but She's also appropriately disquieted by the fact that you still watch this stuff. Of course, yes. I mean, there there is definitely a disappointment. And of course, Moat Tier members, Moat standing for Mother of All Tears, also have access to This American Work, as the life story of lapsed Vince McMahon continues to play out week by week as the ever-inquisitive and probing nasal gas gets to the bottom of what Vince McMahon's life truly represents upon his retirement, of course, if everybody else in professional wrestling is going to sit down and do a podcast after they retire, why shouldn't the impresario, the guy who runs all of our lives as wrestling fans and as wrestlers, Vince McMahon uh, as well. So he's recently addressed his memories of marrying Linda and what that came to mean, raising his children in the world and his very appropriate relationship with his daughter and the other one and so much more <laughs> to come as we chart the very biography the formative childhood and adulthood and post-adulthood experiences of Vince McMahon. It's a long time coming, and it's coming each and every week for Moat Tier members only. Absolutely. Over at patreon.com slash the lapsed fan. And, of course, for that kind of pledge, you better believe you get a shout-out here on that fucking cast. Damn right. Here's the honor roll. Here are the folks that, uh, as much as you think... Uh, you know, this is all fun and games. If it weren't for these people, we would be doing something else because fuck that. But it's these kind of people who step forward and say we're worth this much that motivate us to, to keep doing this. After all these years, running, putting definitive audio on the shelf for everybody, for generations to come. Abel Letier, ADX, ADX3, Aiden Kivelhan, Andy Mulherin, Andy Toth, Andy Yelenich, Arion, Austin Kingsolver, Big D, better believe it, Blake Downing, Brad, Brad, Brandon Kaiser, Bree, mm. Brendan Moe, Brian Blake, Brian Heinst, Brian Roberts, Chris Harris, Christian Hollister, Christopher K, Corey Barnett, Daniel Cardenas, David Kamenester, Dennis Owens, Dominic Herrera, George Otto, Hall Kogan, Hardway Butt Juice, Intern Matt, James Irwin, James Milsom, Jim Rocco, Joe, John Ziegler, Joshua Gibson, Joshua Marbury, Justin Harmon, Kenneth Alexander, Kevin Mills, Christopher Craig, Louis Perez, Lucky Liguchi, Mark Daper, Martin Ferguson, Marty Longhurst, Matt Corcoran, Matthew Finney, Michael Taylor, Mike Chespiel, Mike Hornecker, long-time fucking rock-solid member of the Solar oh, System. Oh, yeah. Mike Poulin, Mitch Gee, Monty Davis Jr., Paul the Saints fan, Pedro Rios, Pete Cozy, Peter J. Panico, R. Rinaldi, Real Gus Mark Wilson, Rob Shepard, Robert Holtzhammer, Ryan Ball, Sam, 
Sam Fairbanks, Scott Michael Ferry, Stephen Laird, Steve King, Thomas Atanasio, Tom, Tom Bauer, Zach Midress, and that boy, Zach Volk Esquire. A rider dies in the mother of all tears. It's why you start doing the podcast in the first place. Yep. To get to know folks like that. And we'll continue servicing the account, of course, for your Patreon dollar. You also get access to our monthly WWE pay-per-view live calls as we watch modern WWE so you don't have to. Extreme Rules, Crown Jewel coming up to cap off 2022, as well as, of course, oh my God. the Survivor Series. War Games. The fuck? Because they don't listen. Because they don't listen. You're damn right. They know. And more and more. Who will survive? Can rest assured that when something occurs to us, some bright idea occurs to your co-chairs, we're thinking of the moat tier first and foremost. So you're well positioned, if nothing else. Keep that in mind. And uh, we do also need to remind you that we're coming up on the time we're going to have to get together, boss, and record this fucking Christmas show. I know. I cannot believe we're already in October. It's October. When you think about all the things we have planned for the holidays around here at TLF, we, we really need to do this earlier than I think a lot of people might expect. So if you've been resting on your uh, laurels, if you've been assuming out there that you have plenty of time to participate in this year's Holly, Holly, mistletoe oh, and Holly. Um, think, of some, think of some fucking name for it. <laughs> some name for it. Um, events, proceedings, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you'd be mistaken. Um, you need to send gifts for your co-chairs to unwrap yeah. our holiday special. Yeah. With, of course, appropriate shout-outs if you label the package correctly. We're going to get together. We're going to drink some eggnog. Yep. And we're going to uh, drink in what the solar system wants to bestow upon us. Uh, this is a new idea, and it sounds like it's going to go well because we've already got a lot of up, uptake for it. But every now and then we get an inquiry like, hey, when, when can I do this? When's the cutoff? I think we're here to say mid-November. I mean, yeah. does that sound right to yeah. you? Yeah, at the, at the, yeah, I would definitely say get it in by mid-November. When we say get it in, wherever you are in the world, we mean get it to the state of Connecticut by yep. mid-November so that you can uh, have um, the, the package in the hands of the co-chairs when the time comes to record. Um, the P.O. Box is the lapsed fan, 710 Main Street South, P.O. Box 119 Southbury, S-O-U-T-H-B-U-R-Y, Connecticut, 06488. Again, the lapsed fan, 710 Main Street South, P.O. Box 119, Southbury, Connecticut, 06488. Dispensed with all but, boss, the best of the WWF Volume 6 death toll before we deep dive. Oh, goodness. Yet another glorious VHS on the Coliseum Collection. Who is no longer with us? Um, did I... Yeah, all right. So, uh, we have, wait a minute, I didn't do the math here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Wow. I think it's eight. I mean, there's not a lot on this. It's a weird tape. It's very short. Yep. And there are only five matches and two segments. But I believe that there are eight. Or is this the one? Or is it last? God, I'm, I I don't know. I, I think I might have fucked this up. But anyway, there's definitely Gorilla Monsoon, Gene Okerlund, Lord Alfred Hayes, Howard Finkel. Is Dick Worley on this one? Um, Yes, I think Dick Worley's think the referee so of the Ivan Putsky match. Yeah, all right. We'll, we'll clarify uh, as we go here. Randy Savage, 
Elizabeth, Lou Albano, and Jimmy, Johnny, rather, Valiant. Yes, I wish it was Jimmy Valiant. I wish it was Jimmy Valiant. (laughs) Interesting story about uh, Johnny Valiant's death, as discussed not too long ago on uh, this American work, for what it's worth, a uh, a, uh, military academy classmate of Vince McMahon himself. Was Johnny Indeed. Valiant? That's right. That's right. Probably played no small part in him continuing to be featured, not only as a manager but on several Coliseum Home videos. And when they go back into the archives to pull, uh, what, are you, what are you talking about? What? Who? Uh, Who is it? Your good friend uh, Jimmy Valiant? No, Johnny Valiant. Sorry, Jimmy, I don't. I don't know who that is. You don't know who that is? No. Johnny, what? You went to. You went to a Fishburne Military Academy with him. I never went to military school. No, he was in the Valiant school. Nope, uh, never did. Stable? Never to, nope. Nope, there's nobody stable in the Valiant. <laughs> I've never, I've never supported the military. I didn't, what? I didn't say anything about the military. What, why did you go there? What does that even I've mean? Never, I've never supported the military or any academics related to the military. Okay, but what what did what did I say that has anything to do with that? I don't you you said But what did you say? I said we also need to thank Exactly Solar System member uh, Stephen Dame for pointing out to us on Twitter that the referee from the uh Canada show that we saw last week that we couldn't identify, Hamilton's Roger Francoeur, is also dead and should be added to the uh, death toll. <laughs> um he was a graduate, according to this article, by Greg Oliver of Jack Wentworth's Wrestling Gym in Hamilton, Ontario, and he died in 2021, July 11th to be exact. He was um, French-Canadian and um, came up as a trainee uh, in the business, and it looks like uh, had a bar in Hamilton, Ontario called Muggsy's. Wow. And uh, was kind of a... Kind of a fixture when Hamilton area wrestlers would get together and have uh, celebrations and uh, was indeed the referee uh, for years for WWF and the Tunnies as well. Before that in Toronto, uh, he uh, among the, the shows he refereed was the big event, August 86 Exhibition Stadium, Toronto. So uh, add Roger Francoeur to the death toll as well as we tip our cap. All right. Too many from the past, including those mentioned by the boss, and we'll probably find a few more as we go. I know, there are probably a few more in here. As we deep dive the latest, completing the latest a trilogy of Coliseum home videotapes on our Coliseum collection as we continue the march to cover it all, to put it all on the shelf, if you will. Pardon that pun. It's the best of the WWF Volume 6 on the other side of this break. It's that fucking cast, and it's that Coliseum collection. <laughs> 